You are listening to the Red Leaf Retrocast, gaming, anime, and wrestling. Your best location to learn, remember, and relive the past to the present. We watch old and seasonal anime, play old and new video games, and watch all the wrestling we can. You are listening to the Wrestling Cast episode, and I hope you enjoy. Super, super, super fly. Welcome to the Red Leaf WrestleCast. This is episode 36, titled Kobe Pro American Rana on the Tyne. <laughs> yes, I'm your host, JD, as usual, found on Twitter at BowlingJD. Your host of the Red Leaf RetroCast, home of all your gaming, anime, and wrestling needs. The WrestleCast is something I started as a little pet project to expand the the podcast, and since I'm just a huge wrestling fan, have been since I was a small child, longer than my other two hobbies of anime and video games. So, you can find the podcast at all your favorite podcasting sites. Spotify is my favorite, I recommend that one the most, but our major site that we are hosted on is Podbean. All right. Now that all that's out of the way, I do recommend going to check out the Retrocast, the Modern Gaming, and the Anime Cast. Of course! Everything's bi-weekly here, except the Modern Gaming, which is monthly. Alright. Got a jam-packed show uh, for you guys today. <clears throat> I usually do this solo these days, because I just watch too much wrestling for people to keep up with. Haha. A little cockiness there. I am not drinking scotch today. That was a special occasion for all the amazing wrestling in the previous episode and the horrid wrestling I subjected myself to as well. WCW Bash of the Beach 98 was not good. Mm. And this one I have some very nice calming herbal tea. So I can keep my voice not thrashed, so to say, and to stay calm. Alright, well I do have some news that's worth discussing, and some opinions. That is why we're here, after all. But before I get into that, I want to shout out to the the collaboration site and podcast, The Anime Radicals. That is a uh, conglomeration anime podcast found on iTunes and, of course, all your favorite podcasting outlets. Why wouldn't it be? Where the Red Leaf Retrocast is part of it, so you can find me on some of those episodes every now and again. Highly recommended. Alright, into the news. Wrestle Circus, a uh, indie promotion I was speaking quite highly of because they always have banger shows. I uh, always looked at it as one of the better indie uh, promotions to go and watch. Well, unfortunately, it has a shady past, and it's shut down. It's closed down abru- abruptly by the owner and basically ghosted everyone, so fuck that guy. Enough about Wrestle Circus. <laughs> it's a shame. The South is uh, in dire need of indie wrestling. I know Anarchy Wrestling is down there, but uh, it just didn't have the nationwide moniker that Wrestle Circus had because of its banger cards. Anarchy does not. Regardless, 
Brussels Circus has now closed down. And I'm seeing some backlash from AEW, because they released a uh, TNT report. Uh, they went into a little bit more detail over their analytics that they're going to be going. I am an avid sports fan. Baseball, hockey, basketball to an extent since I played my entire life up until I thrashed my ankles in college. Bowling. I always speak about my bowling uh, hijinks and tournaments that I enter. So, And I'm into fantasy baseball and fantasy hockey each and every year. So AEW using analytics, uh, like sports, is uh, is something I am very much excited for. Uh, it's to create a new sense of it all. You know, they, they do speak about wins and losses mattering. So what's what's garnered a lot of comedy is they they said even damage tracking to tracking to moves. So I take this. Uh, as an interesting way, I think people are making too many jokes about it. Although it is funny how they made it seem like it's a video game. Anything that is something like Kenny Omega would say. But uh, I take it as how often a move puts someone away. As an example, uh, let's take Kenny Omega's one-winged angel finisher. Uh, it has a 100% win rate when he connects with the move successfully. Now, if you look at Chris Jericho's codebreaker or Lion Salt, the Code Breaker, you could maybe put it at a 50% win rate upon connection. While the Lion Salt, he never wins with it anymore. So that would be the zero, right? Uh, you could keep tracking the analytics in one way, like in matches where Jericho hits the Lion Salt uh, and the Code Breaker in the same match, he wins 75% of the time. You know, that would be really cool. Uh, so definitely think the fantasy baseball and football analytics to it all. Jimmy Havoc, for example, has a higher win percentage in the UK than he does in the USA. Things like that. Uh, I'll give you an example of one that's ongoing right now uh, that I just looked on cage match, and that's what it is. Cody Rhodes currently has a 33.3% win rate in matches that exceed 15 minutes. So there you go. So... Uh, everyone knows, if you're an avid listener of this cast, I love keeping track of the times and matches. Uh, so this is right up my alley. I'm very much for that. And the other discussion is the current situation upon Bray Wyatt in WWE. Uh, he is the most interesting character, and if anything, the only breakout star in WWE in 2019. And, um... You know, you could be asking, well, wait, Bray Wyatt's been around forever. Ah, but every time a new gimmick is introduced, you might as well chalk it as a new... It's a debut, right? A new person, a new character. It's a, it's a new wrestler. So, we've been going on with this Bray Wyatt clown. Uh, he's been deemed the Fiend since April. Uh, so, 14 weeks is, is uh, where we're at now. 15 if you include tonight. And what we got was... four weeks straight of this Firefly Funhouse. Very interesting, uh, but where was it leading? You know, this is always the question you ask when it comes to very complicated... complicated in quotes, of course... Uh, storylines and a new character. Where's this Firefly Funhouse leading to, and it led to there's more behind 
There's more than meets the eye behind the scenes. His pu- one of his puppets uh, was eviscerated and uh, selling its blood. Uh, I believe I have that right. Then, then uh, for a few weeks, you saw the puppets stalking a few superstars backstage. So that led. So the Firefly Funhouse led to uh, a possible darker character than this Mister Rogers persona being put in front of us. That's neat. Okay. Then the puppet stalking. Okay. So these puppets are being used to pick out a, an opponent to take out or force to join his cult or. You know, whatever it may be. You could take that any number of ways. So this goes on for weeks and weeks and weeks, months. And then dark, nothing. So it kind of leads you in suspense. Oh, we haven't seen him in a couple weeks. You know, okay, all right. And then on a random episode of Raw, Bray Wyatt comes out in the clown mask, lights go out, and he just hits his finisher and we're done here cut to next week and Finn Balor is in a match he loses he's smiling uh no uh there was the uh raw raw reunion show and he attacks McFoley with the mandible claw all right cool I guess it's it's a moment it's not really continuing a story right then on Smackdown Finn Balor's attacked Uh, no he's not he loses the match and then uh, on comes the screen. So this is 14 weeks now that has passed. All of this could have been taken care of in maybe a month, you know, or however long. You can extend it uh, however way you please, but uh, there was not a single instance of a puppet stalking Finn Balor backstage. So that's a major miss. Uh, and there and there wasn't any hints that it was going to be this guy at all. Uh and to just simply appear in the ring, use the finisher, and then disappear, and then just say, you have a match against him. Uh, it's, it's to me, it's kind of blown... It, it, they, they missed the opportunity to make something very unique out of the character. So this is, this is the exact same problem that anyone with a creative mind in Iota could think of something more. And I asked non-wrestling fans this... And one guy at work, uh, I'm very close to, I just presented this story to him, and he goes, oh, well, how about uh, he starts selling the blood, as, but he's, no one knows it's blood, so people start, some, some lower-end wrestlers start drinking it backstage, and then they're under, like, a mind-control thing, or they, they, uh, they all, all of a sudden become overly aggressive, so these lower-end guys start winning matches, so... Um, uh, he proposed, I, I told him about the whole Mike Canella situation, not being man enough. Well, maybe he finds this larger power and drink this, and now all of a sudden he's a man, and he just slowly starts going more and more aggressive. Meanwhile, you know it's Bray Wyatt in the back, right? And he's controlling things like a puppet. Ah, oh, what an idea. And this is by from a non-wrestling fan, by the way. Brilliant stuff. But WWE is just, oh, Finn Balor wants a vacation, let's bury him on the way out kind of deal. It's it's very typical. Uh, so I'm very disappointed. Let's see where it goes, nonetheless. But it's very disappointing to know that there's no creativity in it all. They're very afraid to do anything more than what a four-year-old would perceive, right? They look at you, They and this is what drives away a lot of the audience today, 
in WWE is they treat you like you're stupid. They talk down to you. Nothing, they can't overcomplicate anything on purpose, or they're just incapable of doing that. Either way, it's bad. That's kind of where... And it's very uncool for teenagers. <laughs> that much is clear. Anyways, those were my big three uh, topics before now, going into uh, just a lot of particular shows in wrestling I would like to discuss. So let me... Uh, let me play a little drop here. We can move on to something along those lines. What do I have for us? This one. Alrighty. So I have lots of Eurograps to talk about on this podcast today. Uh, we'll start out with OTT, Over the Top Wrestling, over in Ireland. This is Contenders 15, that took place July 21st, 2019. And nothing really happened on this show, it, it was very much a house show feel, but there was one match that was built up, and uh, I do subscribe to OTT on YouTube, because they're the kings of video packages, right? I love what they do. And they had a sit-down interview with Scotty Davis, one of the hottest rising stars in Europe. The supreme suplex machine. And he was peeved that Sean Maxer Guinness, uh, someone who's the same age as him, by the way, uh, just comes in and gets a title shot. He just beats up a guy and he's, you know, it's very, it's very, uh, very true. So I was looking forward to this match. I was thinking, okay, Scotty Davis... Uh, might win, or it goes to a draw, or who knows what it might be, right? And uh, this could push both these guys uh, up the card to carry OTT going forward. Well, we got a pretty decent match showcasing both these young guys, uh, but ends very strangely. Uh, manager of the only true pros uh, simply interrupt the match. Uh Davis had Guinness in an Indian deathlock after Davis fought off the two only True Pros tag team that interfered. And then the manager goes off to the side of the wall, grabs the ring bell, and rings it a few times as he's walking up to the ring. Very odd. The ref is confused, and the crowd is just dead silent. They didn't really know how to react to this tag team coming out. And then when the ring bell was just simply rung and the ref's confused, the crowd just didn't know what to do. So the match just simply ends. The manager cuts an extremely bad promo talking about how Scotty Davis is a joke, which just isn't true. So the crowd just kind of goes, yeah, okay. Uh, and the real pros have to grind to get their spots. Well, the crowd again kind of just goes, well, yeah, that's what Scotty Davis has been doing. Like the, the promo was very bad. Crowd has zero reaction for it all. Uh, Guinness, Sean Maxer Guinness actually ends up joining the Only True Pros team, and that's that. Just not good, very disappointing, uh, ending to the match, uh, and this whole situation. Looking forward to seeing Scotty Davis in Progress's upcoming Natural Progression Series tournament. Nonetheless, uh, not excited for this Only True Pros team. You know, a faction can do wonders, uh, but if the crowd is kind of already just going, eh, about these guys, 
they're going to have to do something pretty drastic to get a crowd reaction because this was not a good start for this. Alright, so that was OTT Contenders 15. Gotta make all my notes. So if you uh, look in the description of each episode, you can see all the wrestling that I'll be covering on here. And so you can just skip ahead to that timestamp. Next up is a Riptide wrestling show over in the UK from July 8th, 2019, called Breakpoint. So... This was the kind of coming out match for Kara Noir. So he's a Riptide Wrestling regular, and for those that don't know, Riptide Wrestling is a is a UK promotion with uh, theatric uh, camera work. So very different. It's very unique. Definitely, uh, you can check out a lot of their matches on their YouTube channel as well. I do highly recommend it. This match is on their YouTube channel. So the main event was to see Caro Noir against a mystery opponent. The mystery vibe led to the crowd being really behind Caro Noir, although that's not to say they didn't lose their minds when Pac came out. Yes, Pac was the mystery opponent. First, when his music hit, the crowd popped, but only some. And then when he came out, the rest crapped their pants. It was quite spectacular. So Caro Noir has this kind of black swan type gimmick to him. He's got glitter on his body. He's he's uh he's v- quite shredded. He's got this um he's got black feathers and and uh for his ring attire when he comes out. And then he has this uh wild face paint on which makes him look like a uh not a ballerina, but definitely a, a uh, an eccentric stage play actor. Um So anyways, Carnoir acts like an excited schoolboy and just wants to shake Pac's hand. Of course that didn't happen, and this became the theme of the match, which I'm really like. It's like he's he's the stage play Black Swan character, and there's a theme to this to this play that's going on in front of us. Kind of matches the character uh, for for wrestling. Uh, Pac proceeds to beat the shit out of this guy. But he keeps, but Car Noir keeps wrenching himself off the mat, just hoping to shake his hand in acknowledgement. Ah, but are these actually mind games by Car Noir? Maybe you're reading. Maybe I'm reading too much into this. Pac beats this guy down for basically the first ten minutes, and then the comeback. Resilience Car Noir firmly with cr- with the crowd loudly behind him tries and tries. Pac gets one more beatdown session, and shakes the bastard hand only to stomp a mud hole in his head. And the crowd got what they wanted, but angrily boos the heel. <laughs> uh, we do get a comeba- another comeback attempt by Car Noir, and he even licks Pac's head conti- to continue his little mind games. Pac is furious. So this is clearly getting to him. Uh, we even get a super near fall right after this, uh, from Car Noir's Black Heart Buster finishing maneuver, Pac count- then counters after kicking out and going for his Black Arrow, but Kara rolls outside. Pac then simply just turns around and moonsaults onto him, with Kara basically not catching him for a very hard fall. It looked quite painful. Pac then hits a series of bigger moves, but can't put this guy away, so he's fuming even more at this point. 
Pac does finally hit the Black Arrow to win, and the crowd loved this match. So, very similar match and similar result uh, to RevPro when it was Pac versus the OJMO. Something, a match that I did not cover on this podcast. Just totally forgot to put it uh, on a past episode. Mm. So, I will be looking out for Car Noir going forward. Good thing he is also in the Natural Progression series in progress coming up. So the Natural Progression series is looking stacked with Fight Mueller and WXW, the OJMO, and Cara Noir, among others. Uh, Very exciting tournament prospects this year. Uh, Unfortunately, on this same show, Jack Sexsmith uh, has been forced into retirement due to tearing uh, many ligaments in his already reconstructed knee. So he joins Kid Lycos and, just on this last cast, Charlie Morgan, uh, being, uh, you could put this in with the tragic suicide of ICW's champion in Scotland, Lionheart, uh, recently. So 2019 has been very rough to Britrest fans. Uh, very sad. Uh, there was an angle after the match with, uh, with Pac where, um, Spike Trevay and his goons uh, do a quick chair shot, and Spike Trevay does a very creepy, sadistic promo, which I'm very much for. Uh, I'm really, I'm, I'm a Spike Trevay fan. Um, I think he has a lot more potential than what he's being showcased in progress with uh, Do Not Resuscitate. Uh, he cuts a good promo, uh, so the more he, the, the better he gets in the ring, the more he'll be showcased. What is next? Ah. Something quite good. Here we go. So that music you heard before I started this was Kento Miyahara's music because I finally watched an all-Japan Triple Crown title match that caught my eye. It was Kento Miyahara defending against Yoshi Tatsu on June 30th, 2019. This match went 26 minutes, 15 seconds, and Miyahara proves he can carry even the most average of workers to a good match. Yes, Yoshitatsu, even though he's revitalized his career, is still very average. And that's one of my big problems with All Japan, is you either have an average wrestler with a good look to them, such as Yoshitatsu, or you have a good wrestler with no look to them, such as Jake Lee. Very bland and boring but a good wrestler. So you can't quite get into most of the people in All Japan. At least that's my take. But that's kind of what All Japan is at its core since the turn of the millennium, where it's it's very bare-bones, basic, we're going to wrestle, no gimmicks needed kind of deal. But Kento Miyahara is just oozing with so much charisma, and he's so damn good in the ring that even wrestling someone like a Yoshitatsu, you just, you're just glued, right? He did have a defense against Zeus, who actually took the title off Kento previously, coming up. So yes, Kento did defeat Yoshitatsu in this match. This was not up to par with uh, Kai nor Ishikawa from earlier this year in 2019. It was slow, not very exciting, uh, brawling on the outside. Uh, It went on way too long. It was followed by uh, rest holds whenever Yoshitatsu was in control. Uh, Then it hits its stride. Uh, with some counters, no sells from Yoshitatsu, the crowd was firmly behind it, so it caught my interest back. Uh, if the crowd wasn't behind this Yoshitatsu no sell, then I would have just been like, no way. 
So Miyahara would then blast him with kicks, drop kicks, and his blackout knees uh, like he was stalking the guy. Very cool. Uh, Yoshitatsu's just trying to hang with him kind of situation. Package deadlift German for the win. Sai and Zeus hit the ring post-match. They had a number one contender match at the fan show. Zeus won that match. So that led to the, the next defense for Kento Miyahara. So very good showing for Kento, as usual. Um, the guy can do no wrong. Uh, if you listen to the Smack It Down podcast, I've been on a couple episodes recently over with my buddy Jay, who joins me on the Modern Game cast for the Red Leaf Retro cast. Uh, I spoke about how I consider Kento Miyahara to be the second best worker in the world right now, period, bar none. Right behind Okada and in front of Shingo. Alright. <clears throat> Aha! This is good. This is good. I hope you guys enjoy this, because I haven't been able to talk about body slam wrestling over in Denmark for for a good hot minute. So, uh... Body Slam, I watch whenever they have their events go up on WXW Now. And on this one, they they put up three. They put up a women's promotion. Not really worth talking about. Or a women's event. Um, Not really worth talking about because the... Well, it wasn't all that great. Uh, But it's a lot of up-and-coming women that you could possibly see on the Euro scene going forward. Uh... There is Body Slam 17 called uh, Skrayen Slam that took place January 12th, 2019. Something I've been dying to get my hands on uh, for all of this year because it was Michael Finn's uh, ladder match defense against Peter Olisander and his new personality, you could say. Uh, this ladder match was for the Body Slam title. Michael Finn has held this for 623 days at this point versus the newly cult prophecy leader Peter Olisander, one of his arch-rivals over the past, like, year and a half. Uh, the match surprisingly only went 13 minutes and 25 seconds and wasn't even the main event of this card. So here I am thinking, not even the main event? No way a 600-plus day reign is going to end here. So, the latter match was made after Olisander stole Finn's title from him, as told by the Book of Olisander. Or the Book of Truth, as he's calling it. Uh, after he broke the quote-unquote second seal, I guess. The third seal is becoming the champion and re- revealing the weakness of your false idol. So, in terms of storytelling, uh, I have to commend the commentary team. Uh, the English commentary team and the subtitles that was on WXW Now, they did a phenomenal job getting this across. And um, the little video package of showcasing how this got there, Michael Finn cut a great promo uh, prior to the match, as he does with his his unique cadence and way of speaking about how he says man and champion, and it's quite good. He says he was he's he feels naked without his title. Peter Olisander talks about his uh, his followers of many, and Michael Finn goes, you know what's many? When your champion has all these bitches in his hotel room afterward, that's many. Ah, oh, it's, it's great. I love Michael Finn. Uh, he can never have too many sunglasses on his face at one time. So anyways, uh, the match is pretty okay for the most part. Uh, Olisander has a good character. Uh, I personally just don't think... He has a good look to him. He's he's real super skinny, 
Like, it looks like I could fall him and break one of his bones kind of situation, and I'm only 150 pounds. <laughs> uh, so, well, after some back and forth, and Finn being mostly dom- dominant, he climbs up the ladder at around the 10-minute mark. Then the lights go out. So, that always gets a, you know, a pop in some way. So who's it going to be? Is it going to be someone who's going to come after his title, cost him the shot, maybe want to get into a grudge match? Well, as it turns out, uh, both masked evil men of Emeritus and Vasile are on the ladders. It's particularly Vasile right in front of him. He's the, the big Chernobyl victim guy gimmick. Uh, so they're on the ladders. Finn fights off both, hitting the Finn cutter uh, on Vasile off the ladder, but then Olisander hits the double arm DDT on his prophecy book to put Finn out. With the help of his new cult mates, he wins the title, breaking the 20 month reign of the get, get high bad guy. Just devastating to my fandom. <laughs> so they, they put Olisander over, got him with a new faction. Uh, where does this lead for Finn? Well, now we have uh, the chase. Like, the guy's had the title for so long at this point now that the fans love him. (laughs) Uh, Your main event was uh, Tank and Burnett against the Swedish Elite uh, for the vacant tag titles. And uh, just a good feel-good home, go-home story of Tank and Burnett winning the tag titles. Uh, So we cut to a few months later, Body Slam 19 over in Copenhagen. uh, Took place March 16th, 2019. So this is your grudge match get get back kind of deal for uh for Michael Finn. Um, Swedish Elite win the tag titles in a triple threat match versus Tank and Burnett and and uh, Randers Payne. So the Swedish Elite have now uh, been men of their word because uh, they claim that there was uh, tomfoolery. Uh, in the vacant tag title match, so that's how they got into this one, and then they took advantage. Now the tag titles are going out of Denmark to uh, the worst Scandinavian country, obviously Sweden. Uh, Not as good as Norway. (laughs) Uh, Anyways, uh, Joseph Connors is back in Body Slam. I always like seeing him since he's doing nothing on NXT UK but doing jobs. Uh, He defeats Shigehiro Iterae in a decent outing. Um, I believe Emeritus and David Starr had a match on the show. I didn't write it down. It could have been at uh, Body Slam 17, but that was pretty good as well. But anyways, to the main event, big follow-up from Skarin Slam, a tag team match. Michael Finn had to search for a tag team partner to take on Emeritus and Peter Olisander. Well, Emeritus is in this match. That means it was at 17, David Starr. Uh, Well, Michael, Michael Finn's brilliant idea was who's the man that took him to the limit in his 600 plus day reign? Well, in his mind, it was Chris Brooks. That was his biggest defense. So he gets Chris Brooks to be his tag team partner. Great grudge match, uh, street fight type feel to start this off, just right away. Finn looked like he wanted to do a balcony dive at one point, but the dudes moved to a different location, kind of stranding Finn there. Uh, probably a better choice in the end. He ended up scaling the the uh, the side bleachers and did a crossbody from about the third row. So not too high up, but the crowd popped nonetheless. So it did its job. I will say, I will say, there was one camera person during Body Slam 19 event here that was unbearably terrible with just constant nauseating movement, just could not focus at any point. It, it, it actually made me sick. 
at points to to watch this match. Uh, I could tell that the crew was trying to stick to the other person uh, for longer periods of time. They could kind of, I bet I bet they could tell as well. It was it was quite rough rough going to watch with this one camera person. Uh, just not a steady hand. That's how I could describe it. A lot of zooming in and out too. Just. I don't know if they were trying too hard or were nervous or just it was their first gig. I'm I have no idea. Just saying what uh how I felt when I was watching it. Anyways, both teams gelled quite nicely creating a Dragon Gate type tornado tag match, uh, which is the new new style tag tag matches of this day and age. At 16 minutes, uh this gets a this is awesome chance, so the crowd's loving this. Finn hits his his cutter Brooks hits his slingshot cutter. Uh, then the Oz cutter from Finn, but, uh, you know, a kick out, of course, because, you know, three straight finishers uh, is never enough in 2019. <laughs> uh, not my cup of tea. I prefer a, a sequence like that to end matches rather than kind of be at the, the midway point. So um, Finn and Brooks do a nice little... Uh, dumb Team 3D uh, Dudley boys summon, get the tables. Uh, they're immediately cut off by Alessandra and Emeritus getting the table, so then they bring him in. Eventually, super fin cutter on Alessandra onto Emeritus through a table, but of course it doesn't break, because it's Europe. <laughs> uh, Finn hits a frog splash this time. The table breaks. Finn pins Alessandra, so he gets his win back. Uh... Obviously, this puts him right back in contention for the title. I love this match. It went 21 minutes, 38 seconds. Hit that nice little stride there at the end. And to my surprise, after a Peter Olersander just relishing in the moment, he's still champion. Rick the Prick Dominic in tow with Nicholas Dalby. I had to look this guy up. Commentary said he was an MMA guy. I'm like, I don't. I don't remember hearing about this guy ever in the welterweight. Well, he's welterweight champion in Europe. So that's why I haven't heard of him in North America. So Rick the Prick cashes in his uh, his Ecstasy of Gold ticket, which he had apparently called out for May. And he goes, ah, I changed my mind. Fuck it. We're doing this now. <laughs> uh, which I quite, I'm, I'm, I'm a big fan of that. That's a good surprise booking. That's, that's a swerve anybody we, uh, could get behind. Um, well, Emeritus low blows him, Dalby helps out, evens the odds to take out Emeritus, and this leads to the prick kick with his big combat boots, and uh, Rick the Prick is your new body slam champion. So we went from a 623 day reign to three champions here in 2019, and there's a big match coming up in an abandoned church of Rick the Prick and... Uh, whom I can only assume to be Michael Finn. I expect lots of lewd gestures and lots of profanity in that match, which I'm quite looking forward to in the future. So Body Slam, good job. You've kept me going. Uh, all the stories make total sense. Uh, Rick the Prick is definitely not a move I would have used <laughs> put the title on, but at least it's a new opponent. You can't do Ollie Sander. This isn't the, the 70s and 80s where you can do the same match over and over again for two years kind of situation. Uh, which I'll get to that in a second when I go into my wrestler spotlight. Alright. 
I do recommend checking out the WXW library uh, of lots of these Euro indie wrestling scenes. It's how I discovered Body Slam, Art of Wrestling over in the Czech Republic, uh, all kinds of things. But let's get on to Ice Ribbon. All right, Ice Ribbon over in Japan. As I take a sip of my tea, get ready for this one. Mmm. Okay. Ice Ribbon 971, Yokohama Ribbon. One of their bigger events of the year. Uh, I got four matches to talk about here. Uh, just like with Stardom, I usually skip the, uh, the, the Young Lioness matches. Or the comedy matches, or whatever they might be. Uh, but there was a tag match uh, that caught my eye because Rom Kaicho is in it. And so is Suzu Suzuki. They're, uh, they're definitely some of the up-and-comers uh, in Ice Ribbon. Uh, they have, at least for, the, for sure, Rom Kaicho has, uh, has a lot of character. Well, she's teaming with Akane Fujita, who's kind of the deathmatch veteran of the group. She's much bigger. Uh, they take on Asahi and Suzu Suzuki. Match goes 11:44. And this was a bad wrestling match with an attempt to save it with character work. So I can at least say kudos. Fujita is the vet and pretty much had Rom Kaicho do the work while the other team also tried. Uh, the story was Asahi and Suzu don't get along at all. Uh, Ram, uh, Ram. Ram doesn't like Fujita, but Fujita simply kind of just follows her orders out of kindness. But yeah, bad wrestling. Rom Kaicho uh, and Fujita get the win. This is followed by a singles match of Rina Yamashita versus Tsukushi. So you might remember uh, over the past few months, Rina Yamashita has been on a tear, a big winning streak. And Tsukushi is just coming off kind of her coming of age of a wrestler moment, uh, taking Maya Yukihi and the Infinity title to the limit, right? So this is a very... uh, this is this was a dynamic match of who can go over, right? So Sakushi is four foot ten nothing and only twenty one years old. She's got a she's got very cute new gear on, I will say, and she's here to challenge the much bigger Rena. I use that loosely because anyone looks massive against a four foot ten person, but Rena's five five, so even I'm taller than Rena. Regardless, uh. But yeah, she's on a multi-month winning streak. Sakushi was awesome in this match. And also because she's so tiny, it made Rina look like a total monster with tons of power. This dynamic worked way better than I was expecting. I was so skeptic going in and very impressed coming out. This goes to a 15-minute time limit draw, and I only wanted more. I didn't know how it was going to end. I could see either one of them winning. It was, it was quite good. Uh, so this is definitely a match I recommend checking out if you're a Joshi wrestling fan. So that's followed by the triangle ribbon title match, uh, the triple threat title, if you will. I love that stipulation. It's the only title I'm aware of in its uh, existence. Uh, Sukashi Fujimoto uh, had won the title in a previous uh, title match. That's how she got it from Maya Yukihi. And so the contestants here are Miyako Matsumoto, Hamako Hoshi, and, of course, our defending champion, Tsukasa Fujimoto. And, uh, well, this was ridiculous. Miyako and Hamako, Hamako are awful. Hamako especially is the worst. Uh, she literally missed basic moves and was very cringy to watch. 
Luckily, Miyako is a comedy wrestler and is very anime Japanese schoolgirl type uh, type character. She would prance around and yell just nonsense phrases to the audience, and the audience are just dying of laughter. So, uh, if I spoke Japanese, I would have probably been laughing too. I just saw her mannerisms and just kind of was shaking my head going, oh my god. <laughs> uh, then there's Sukasha Fujimoto wrestling what I can describe as broomsticks. She is just being amazing. Uh, this was just a sight to see. A great wrestler versus a comedy wrestler versus a green horrid one. Uh, I can't further describe how bad Hamko Hoshi needs to improve fast because I just can't see myself seeing more of this more of this woman for at least a year. Well, surprisingly enough, Miyako Matsumoto, the comedy wrestler, wins pinning Fujimoto, of all people, which uh, I'll come back to in a second. So there you go. She's the new triangle champion. Uh, I will give it this. The... This is like the, the I can I can I compare the triangle title in Ice Ribbon to the artist trios title in Stardom. Anybody can win it at any given time, and you can also lose it, and it's very hard to defend. So there's at least that moniker uh, you can kind of say. And Tsukasa Fujimoto is so damn good that she could lose every match for a year, and people would still be like, "Yeah, she's really good." But now on to the reason why this show was hyped up for me personally. Well, as you remember in our last two defenses, Maya Yukihi for the Infinity title took on the up upstart Julia and the very much Japan crowd favorite Takiya Saya. Uh, Maya beat them both, and the story went, well, they're going to team together to at least take one title off Maya. At least that's the narrative that's being presented in front of me that I understand. So, they teamed up to get the tag titles away from Maya and her tag team partner of Azure Revolution, Risa Sarah. This match, uh, surprisingly, only goes 13 minutes and 31 seconds. Now, for a title match, I generally like them to go at least 15. However, this is a rare case where... This was really good. Uh, I will say Sai and Julie also have sweet white light-up jackets to match. And they glow in the dark. I loved it. But anyways, probably about 80% of this match was just simply Takiya Saya versus Maya. And it was really good. So it was like their singles match, but dialed up to 10 with twice the speed. Right? Uh, so occasionally Sarah would come in for a couple double-team maneuvers, and vice versa. But man, whatever Julia was doing... In this match, like, her kicks and timing was just on point being the partner. Like, even the odds, I got your back, I'm keeping Risa Sarah out of this match, uh, I'll, I'll knock Maya down a few pegs to help you out. So Saya ended up looking absolutely outstanding because of all this, and Maya just wasn't missing a beat. She wasn't able to hit any of her big signature moves, she was just always on the defense and selling like a fucking machine. It was ungodly to see the selling. Uh, I haven't seen a women's match with this level of sell in a long time. Uh, Maya did attempt her sharpshooter again, which still looks horrible. 
but Saya wins off finally hitting her tequila shot finisher, which she didn't hit in the Infinity title match. So, kudos to all this. Uh, I loved it. We have new tag champions. Mayuki, he went from winning all the belts in Ice Ribbon to now only having the single big one. And after the match, Tsukasa Fujimoto gets in the ring, and Maya looks at her, looks down at her waist, and I don't speak Japanese, but I know exactly what she said. She goes, what happened to the triangle title? And Tsukasa just got, she goes, well, I lost it. (laughs) To who? She looks over and over in the corner. uh, The camera goes to Miyako Matsumoto, and she's prancing around with the title. She's like, yeah, I won. (laughs) And you can tell Maya just goes, are you kidding me? (laughs) So it was a good story there. Uh, I can't wait again for the uh, the third encounter of Maya versus Fujimoto. There you go. Uh, loved Ice Ribbon. It's still nailing it on all the cylinders. Uh, I don't know if the Peas Party shows are up yet, uh, but I'll have to look into it. So I'm going to take some more tea, mark my timestamps down, and play the next drop to get to our wrestler spotlight. The best there is, the best there was, and the best there ever will be. Mm. Mm-mm. Gotta keep the uh, throat nice and moist and warm. <laughs> Don't take that the wrong way. Don't take that out of context. Alright. Wrestler, Retro Wrestler Spotlight, continuing our journey of the NWA U.S. champions. Uh, We're on the 10th champion, whom is Jimmy Snuka. Uh, This is the 16th reign of the U.S. title. Uh, After Flair and Steamboat played much hot potato for basically a year... Uh, The title was then vacated due to the NWA not allowing Ric Flair to hold two titles simultaneously after winning the tag titles. I know, strange ruling, but hey, what are you going to do? This happened 40 years ago at this point. Uh, So Snuka would go on to hold the title for 230 days after winning a tournament on September 1st, 1979. So we're almost in the 80s, which is where I really want to be. And uh, I can actually, I believe, find a lot of this uh, Midwest Championship Wrestling matches uh, to see. Because a lot's been lost. A lot of these U.S. title matches are just, are gone, the mid-card. You can can find a lot of the, uh, the heavyweight title matches, but not... Not the ones that kind of kick-started a lot of these guys into the territory. So he defeated Steamboat in the finals, and he would proceed to have uh, Steamboat be his perennial opponent the whole time when he was in uh, MWCW and in the NWA itself. Uh, also, also, the two did a stint in All Japan Wrestling. Uh, in 1981, they had a couple singles matches, both trading victories due to DQ. So... Uh, I looked on Cage Match because I wanted. To, I, I've been I've been doing this more and more, trying to get into more specific matches of these guys. Uh, so, I mean, <laughs> I didn't find a Jack Briscoe match, surprisingly enough. But what I did find was one of those All Japan matches in 1981, and uh, it was against Ricky Steamboat. And it's the one where Steamboat uh, gets DQ'd for choking Snuka, and the ref just says, "All right, ring the bell." 
Uh, but the match goes on 20 minutes, and this is very interesting, because in my mind, I haven't watched a Jimmy Snuka match in goddamn 25 years minimum. I just have it in my head that he's the guy that jumped off the cage in 1983 uh, against Bob Blackland at Madison Square Garden. The big moment, right? That pretty much defined his career. And, of course, the horrid news that he uh, probably murders his wife, murdered his wife, and then he, he died of basically CTE or some of it. Well, Jimmy Snuka was a bodybuilder. And he had a short three-year stint in the WWF. Then he went into the NWA, uh, Midwest, New Japan, All Japan. And then he went back into the WWF. And this is where I saw him uh, in the late 80s, early 90s. Uh, Whether it was old tapes I'd rent from Blockbuster or um, just something my parents would record and I'd watch it or, you know, whatever it might, might be. Well, I knew... 90s Jimmy Snuka. I didn't know 70s, 80s Jimmy Snuka very well at all. And yes, I knew he was a bodybuilder, but man, this guy has a mean look to him. Uh, Jimmy Snuka is definitely one of those guys that there's a certain nostalgia perception and narrative around the dude that he's this great legend, and I just didn't see it because I watched this, you know, he's got a great body and a mean look. And I watched this All Japan match with Steamboat. And I'm just coming off looking at a lot of old Steamboat matches uh, on this spotlight myself. And Steamboat just, his his style was timeless. Uh, and then I watched this match against Snuka. And it's 20 minutes of rest holds. And I'm thinking to myself, isn't Snuka supposed to be this big high flyer? And this mean... Like, heel, chop, chop, dude. You know, he's part of the Tongan kind of dynasty history deal. Well, as it turns out, he's not very good. He was a big baby face at one time, and he drew for like a year. Uh, But I watched like seven matches of Snuka, all against different opponents. And not one of them was good. I was bored the whole time. He would occasionally do this springboard falling splash. But he'd always miss and just slap slap into the mat real hard. He would go to the top rope and just... He would do the splash, but he didn't really jump. He would just fall. And he'd usually miss. At least from the matches I saw. And this Steamboat match was basically as good as he was going to get. Uh, there would be rest holds... They would exchange the rest holds. They would stand in the rest hold. Headlocks over and over again. And then they would proceed to chop each other. Uh, in Snooka's case, overhand chop. And Steamboat with many different ones. Variations. Keeps it fresh, right? So the, it was supposed to be a brawl style. With the occasional up to the top rope move. And this is very eye-opening. Because I went into this thinking, all right, Jimmy Snooker, here we go. We're get, we're getting to the 80s. We're getting to one of the big dudes, the legends of the industry. And as far as I'm concerned, dude, I was more impressed with Blackjack Mulligan. At least he seemed to have character. Snooker just has this look, and that's all he was. You know, uh, did the um, 
did the spotlight over King Kong Bundy. And I loved King Kong Bundy coming out of that. He was a mean-looking dude. He could go a lot more than Snuka. So Snuka is very disappointed to me. Um, yes, he's a big baby face. Yes, he drew for a short period of time. But as a wrestler, I just could not find him interesting. Uh, his style, he, He's very much of his age, is how I can describe it. So, there you go. Um, definitely my least favorite U.S. champion to date out of the ten. So, um, on Twitter, at BowlingJD, I'm going to rank up to... The first, I'm going to rank these 10 champions of the U.S. title up to this date and say this is what uh, I think I would rank them in. I'm going to think about it a little bit more, um, but I definitely know Snuka is last on that list after this. Okay. Ooh, here we go. Getting to the nitty-gritty of it all. Man, I, I really want to play Fire Emblem right now, guys. That game just came out. I'm very addicted. It's a problem. Here we go. Okay, gotta make my notes, drink my tea, feeling up my throat a little bit, been talking for almost an hour already, and not even close to finishing, but we are kind of on pace for normal, what we're doing normally here. I'll probably take a break after uh, the weekly wrestling, pick this up another time, but here we go. Uh, episode 66, Major League Wrestling. In 2019, cold open footage from the last taping happened where the Dynasty attacked Teddy Hart and took one of his tag titles. We get Brian Pillman uh, being given an opportunity by Davy Boy Smith, a.k.a. DBS, to defend the tag titles with Teddy Hart. So there you go. Brian Pillman getting the big chance, boys. He's ecstatic to be given this opportunity. Uh, we get our first match here of the night, Ace Austin versus Airwolf, the rematch. And I'm all for it, since their first one was fantastic with Air Airwolf winning. Uh, Airwolf was also coming off that win versus Phoenix to kind of put him over. Love that. So the story I took away uh, from this match was both in skill level are basically identical, creating this rivalry between the two. But since Airwolf won the last time, Austin is going to have to do everything he can to win this time. Which means he pulls his magic extendable cane out, cracks Airwolf off a ref distraction, uh, and that distraction was from Ace Austin throwing a playing card into his face. Brilliant heel move. Using his magic trick gimmick to win. It's like Gambit, but with the with the things. Ah. Oh. I don't see this as 50-50 booking. I see this as creating a rivalry, and you have your heel on one side, your clear heel now, and your clear face. I really want to see this third match now. Keep doing it. I want to see a tag match situation where they're trying to go at each other. They each have a tag partner. Uh, please give that to me. Uh, I get that MLW does these long tapings, and we might not see the third one for a little while. But yeah, I'm definitely salivating for it. Uh, after the match, we get Ricky Martinez asking Zelina De La Renta for another shot at Loki because he got a, he got the shit kicked out of him last week. 
that's when Jimmy Havoc calls Selena. But, oh, Manser is on the line instead of Jimmy. Why, oh, why? Well, Manser said Jimmy is laying in a pool of blood and that Manser now has the golden ticket. Why does Jimmy Havoc have the golden ticket and not the man who won it, L.A. Park? I don't know. I can't answer that. Makes no sense. Well, the golden ticket is the grants you a championship match whenever the person who holds it wants it. So, uh, does this mean Manser, because he's in possession of the ticket, can now cash it in whenever he wants? I don't know. Uh, Is this writing Jimmy Havoc off MLW TV? Maybe. Uh, So it does a couple things there. Um, As much as not sense it makes, it does make it intriguing what they're doing with Mance Warner. Uh, We get another match, Loki versus Ariel Dominguez, and as we know, Loki has been KOing dudes a lot lately. Well, Dominguez gets cracked with a knee. We're done here. (laughs) I wanted Loki to go on a hunt and do some awesome, like, backstage knockouts. You know, getting trying to go for Contra Unit, maybe getting mad at people, but alas, we're not getting that. Uh, so my disappointment is not what's is not what's coming across to the crowd because the crowd friggin' loves this. You can see that with the audience clamp clapping and just standing for them like ovation. It's pretty wild. So it's working with the crowd. I may not like it. I wanted something else entirely. I'm kind of tired of these short matches, but hey, crowd loves it. Uh, so, we get the Dynasty in a segment, meeting at Martha's Vineyard in New England. Uh, MJF is letting us know he isn't afraid of heights, even though he clearly is, based on his demeanor. MJF uh, convinces Richard Holiday to climb the ladder and win for his team. Uh, so, Holiday is being kind of uh, pushed, basically, as the uh, as the numbskull of the group. So, it's a, it's a good dynamic. Uh, we get a... Uh, Strange little FaceTime of Zelina and Ricky. Ricky thinks he's found Manser. It's kind of this whole Blair Witch Project situation. But Manser set up a, sets, set, sets up a decoy and attacks Martinez from behind. Uh, but yeah, it was well done like a cheesy horror movie. Uh, so Manser is hunting Zelina's crew. Uh, this is This is great. It's almost like how you wanted Sting to take out the NWO, truthfully, back in the na- late 90s. Uh, so this is this is well done, despite the little golden ticket contradiction there. Uh, then we get Conan warning Zelina that the Wagners are coming to MLW. And if you're not familiar with the Wagners, they're uh, a famous family from uh, AAA in Mexico. So there's that. MLW Tag Team Championship ladder match of the Hart Foundation versus the Dynasty in our main event. During the entrances, cameras uh, cut to the back with Manser... Uh, Locking out L.A. Park from the arena. Knocks out Heo Park with a chain. And then chases after Selena. Very horror movie-like. It's very funny. Uh, love it. So it's very good. Uh, match was simply trading moves. And M- MJF being uh, afraid to climb the ladder. So he makes Arya and Holiday do it in heel fashion. Teddy puts Holiday through a door. Uh, Pillman is climbing the ladder. And Hammerstone comes out to buckle bomb Pillman. I hate that move so much. Uh... Teddy Hart clearly hurts himself pretty badly uh, from putting Holiday through the door, so he kind of rolls outside, and the match, I guess, gets cut early, or they 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 rush it a little bit to the finish. 
Davy Boy Smith does get involved and attempts to power slam Hammerstone through a table, but of course, it doesn't break. Yep, our second one of the night on this podcast. Holiday is handed a chair by the downed MJF, cracks Pillman with it to win the titles. So I must say this show was really fun, and I liked all the stories. Uh, so episode 66 gets a thumbs up. Uh, I do love how these shows are an hour. Can they continue this momentum in episode 67? Well, you'd be mistaken. We get a very, well, okay. We get a very cool little vignette uh, in this cold open. Zelina De La Renta is sitting on a bed with a glass of wine. You know, like the uh, the whole you can jump on the bed, but the but the wine won't spill situation. Uh, she is dressed in a, uh, a a slick skeleton dress similar to L.A. Park. Then she takes her wine, which resembles blood, and spells out six six six. Woo, spooky! Everything is black and white except for the blood and her fingertips and her lips. Ooh, very very uh, Sin City esque. Then she drinks the blood. She has summoned. Bistia666 to take out Mance Varna. Very cool. Selena De La Renta. Thespian. Beautiful. I love the camera work. Everything is great. Cara Noir over in Riptide Wrestling would be proud. Alright, now on to the rest of the show. Not so good. MLW National Openweight Championship. Hammerstone versus Davy Boy Smith Jr. Uh, Holiday hypes up his dynasty boy and calls him a meat castle. I died laughing. I will say that. But anyways, Holiday follows Hammerstone out to the ring while DBS is, of course, alone. Because the Hart Foundation never travels together, apparently. This is very rinse and repeat. Nobody likes a stupid babyface, guys. How many times must we go over this? Basically, this goes down like any regular heel team versus a lone babyface match. Lots of distractions, one-sided beatdowns, not, not, not much else here. MJF ends up sneezing and picking his nose with a Canadian flag, even though D- DBS is British. He brought out a Canadian flag nonetheless. Uh, but yeah, MJF does the, the whole Shawn Michaels 1997 thing. This leads DBS to lose his goddamn mind and gets DQ'd cracking Hammerstone with the Canadian flag. Okay then. The Von Erichs cut a monotone nothing promo about how they were coming for Country Unit. They should never do a promo ever again. Uh, Conan cuts a promo outside, and it's so windy you can't hear a goddamn word he's saying. He says, I think he's going to expose Zelina's pictures. So I guess we're having naked pictures of Zelina? Or, I don't, I don't know. Her days are running MLW are over, says Conan. Contra unit promo about how they have all the power and they want official contracts. I assume this, of course, means with MLW. Uh, although they did announce a partnership with Noah recently, so it would be very interesting if they kayfabe signed with Noah instead of MLW. That could be a possibility. Mancer cuts a backstage promo in all in an all-black room, like a basement. He has a chain around his neck and says he will kill the devil, reference to Bestia 666. Mancer says he likes to get bloody. Then Mancer picks up a bucket of blood and rubs it all over his face. Blah! This is very Vampiro WCW 2000 type, type stuff here. But it actually makes sense. <laughs> kind of situation. Uh, so yeah, history kind of repeating yourself, but 
they they made it work here. Mm. Then we get our main event. Los Parks with Selena De La Renta versus El Hijo de Dr. Wagner Jr. and Dr. Wagner Jr. There you go. Very tough match to call for the commentary team. Uh, lots of juniors and, and the whatnots. I would say this match had me pretty hyped going into it, and it started out that way. And then it went full AAA on us. The ref all of a sudden has lapsed rules, uh, which irritates a lot of wrestling fans when the same ref doesn't stick to his own rules. He changes it uh, accordingly. Uh, lots of because Lucha type moments. You know, if something doesn't make sense, you just go because Lucha. Uh, just a lot of take your, take your turn in the ring type stuff. Uh, the crowd went from hot to just by the end of this long drawn out fiasco to actually seeing, I I saw multiple members of the audience just yawning. Uh, I hope this wasn't at the very end of the tapings. Uh, but yeah, very strange main event. That was basically half the show right there. Just not a winner. Uh, L.A. Park spears El Hijo de Dr. Wagner Jr. for the win. So MLW did announce the partnership with Noah, so that's very interesting going forward. That's the big takeaway. News from MLW. Um, so yeah, no cliffhanger on this episode except the whole uh, Bestia 666 situation. Um and contra unit with the uh, with the title, but as for the as for the wrestling on the show, uh, mucho no bueno is how I will say that one. Ooh, here we go. Yes, beyond wrestling uncharted territory, we are on episodes 16 and 17 on this cast, the lead-up and go-home show of American Rana 19, their biggest show of the calendar year. Episode 16 uh, was basically a lot of singles matches uh, with not too much story going on. There was one match to talk about. Singles match, John Silver defeats Layla Hirsch. She's the extremely tiny little Russian girl who's uh, got a heart of gold. John Silver um, was the one who started putting over Chris Stotlander and got her on her role. So I guess the idea was to try and do the same thing with Layla Hirsch. She's just a little too green still, but she does has that have that good amateur wrestling background that helps her out a lot. Uh, tag team match, Butcher and the Blade defeats American Strong. Uh, that's the team of Jay Freddy and Rory Gulak. Uh, so they're getting ready for their encounter with the Rock and Roll Express at American Rana. It's a warm-up match. It's a lot of warm-up matches. Then we get the Discovery Gauntlet match. Daniel Red Death Garcia taking on Christian Casanova with Cameron Dickhead Zagami, uh, who's King Dickhead right now. I love him. He's the most hated manager in the world. Uh, this match goes, like, a minute and a half, and then Daniel Garcia clocks Cam, puts Casanova in the, what's his submission hold? I think it's, like, a cloverleaf, and, um, Cam's distracting the ref, but 
Daniel Garcia just pulls the ref back and says, no, concentrate. This forces Casanova to tap out, and he just puts up his arm in victory, just standing there staring at him. Cameron Zagami can't fucking believe it. His his prime time boy that took the the nine-week streak, I think it was nine, away from Thomas Santel in the Discovery Gauntlet, just we're done here situation. The crowd popped so hard uh, that Casanova's out and Cameron, uh, he got one over on the most hated person in the company. So good on Red getting Red Death Garcia over, and I like the name too. Singles match, this continues Chris Dickinson's preparation for the uh, the human muscle wall of Daisuke Sakamoto. He's taking on Fred Yehai. He does beat him. Good little strong style match there. Not much else to say. Dickinson has just been killing it as he has been on this entire Uncharted Territory tour. I use the word tour light lightly. It's a weak show at the same location. Uh, then we have a tag team match. Uh, coming off the team... Uh, of Santel and Gage finally coming together uh, and and beating the shit out of Milk Chocolate. They had a little rough spot at the beginning. Uh, this time they're taking on Ken Doan and Richard Holiday. Uh, kind of an odd pairing, but this is these are the two guys that jumped Gage and Santel, and uh, this led to this encounter. And Santel and Gage rightfully win on their road to facing the Chop and Roll Express at American Rana. Of Brian Alvarez and Filthy Tom Lawler. So, there you go. Ken Doan's on the losing end again. And Richard Holiday, well, he's eh, he, he's tag champion now in MLW. So, he's got plenty of things going for him. Uh, Wheeler, Utah, in a uh, warm-up match. Um, as we can see, the story is he's going for uh, Chuck O'Neill. And coming back from Europe, in Germany in particular, he's learned this catch style where he can now get out of the arm bars. He can get out of these ground moves. So he's, he defeats Brandon Thurston in his match. Same story there. Chuck O'Neill comes down, tries to get one over. Couldn't do it. Uh, and the much anticipated, and I love this, this is the singles match uh, because Stotlander called out Kimberly instead of the number two girl, I said it, number two popular female in Beyond Wrestling Solo Darling. So they have this one-on-one encounter. It was a very solid match between the two biggest baby faces, uh, female and male alike, in the company. And Stotlander, rightfully so, goes over to prep for her cage match against Kimberly, the grudge match feel. Um, very much high, highly anticipated. I love this match. Uh, I honestly thought this should have been the main event because what we ended up getting was Josh Briggs defeating his best friend and commentator friend, uh, retrosexual Anthony Green with his Platinum Honeys ringside. And that match was okay. Uh, I don't know. Something just felt off about it. Uh, Post-match, Briggs gave him one up and wants to tag with him. So there you go. That's what we're getting for episode 17. And then moving on to episode 17. Uh, LAX start out the show. They call out uh, their American Ron opponents, Bear Country. They, uh, They get some chairs in the ring. They sit down. They talk, they, 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 uh, they shoot the shit, so to say. Milk Chocolate inter, uh, kind of intervenes. That's Brandon Watson, Randy Summers. Bunch of, bunch of losers, basically. Uh, and this was basically, 
who's going to be who's going to come out of American Rana as the tag team aces. LAX has that moniker. Bear Country wants that moniker. So this is your warm up matches. Your your go home kind of angle of we're going to prove to you that we're better. So uh, LAX beats Milk Chocolate in convincing fashion, and then Bear Country has the match right after them against the team of Da Hoods, uh, which commentary puts over as Beyond Wrestling Originals, who haven't been seen in a while, uh, and that's what happens there. Then we get uh, Layla Hirsch, how uh, she lost to John Silver last week. Well, now she's facing Alex Reynolds this week. And she beats Alex Reynolds after a John Silver kind of distraction there. And uh, Hirsch goes over. Uh, of course, Silver goes, I'm not going to wait until, um, you know, mid-card in the show. We're going to start. We're going to be the first official match on American Rana. Uh, so very excited for that little grudge match there. Tag team match, we get... Uh, Cam, Cam, Cameron Zagami and Christian Casanova against <laughs> Santel and Gage, who are now going by Murder Death Kill. It's a play on Nick Gage's moniker Murder Death Kill, MT, MDK. Well, now it's NDK because Tom and Santel's a big nerd. Uh, they win via DQ. Um, not much to say there. It, it keeps the heels as fuckheads and gets the gets this just rambunctious tag team here over that much more. The Discovery Gauntlet match was my second favorite match on this show in particular. Uh, it's Daniel Garcia against his friend, who was also in this major car accident uh, that kind of hospitalized them both. His name's Kevin Blackwood. And they go, we they both want to win this. Uh, as long as we're in the ring, we're not friends situation. Uh, they go for uh, a, a good amount of time. I didn't time this one. I didn't time anything on this show in particular. But Daniel Garcia goes over uh, in a very good uh, young young blood match, is how I would describe it. Then we get a tag team match of The Butcher and the Blade versus AG and Briggs. And it's exactly what you would expect from a Butcher and the Blade match. It's very slow. It's very maniacal. Or, um... Maniacal, I guess. It's just very slow. They're, uh, they have a good gimmick to them. They're two big dudes. They just don't move very fast. And I'm just not into them as much as a lot of people are. Uh, beyond wrestling fans, uh, I, spoke to, I speak to a lot of them. Uh, they love Butcher and the Blade. They're very over with the crowd. So I can't ask for much more. It's just... You know, this was for this to be a warm-up match and have Briggs and Green lose to a team that's facing the very old Rock and Roll Express in American Rana. Uh, David Starr is taking on Wheeler Utah in his warm-up match for the Iron Man match against Joey Janela to find out who's the true ace, aka the best wrestler in Beyond history. And um, Starr does defeat Utah. In the end, uh, it was okay. Utah has learned a lot with his tour in Europe. I think he needs to do that more often. Uh, wrestle different styles instead of this crazy indie style that he's used to doing. And I haven't seen him in MLW in quite some time, so I'm a little bit worried there. Mm. Yeah, now that I think of it, Teddy Hart's middleweight title hasn't been defended in a while. Anyways. The main event is a barn burner. It's evil-looking Timothy Thatcher, who's totally not ring comp, against 
Chris Dickinson, and fuck, if you like hard-hitting European uppercuts, massive chops, and a fucking awesome ground game from Timothy Thatcher, this match is for you. Chris Dickinson does end up going over. It is one of the best matches of Uncharted Territory that I would put over. Uh, Very much worth seeking out. This was my takeaway. So between... uh, So Dickinson Thatcher and then Statlander Darling are my two takeaways from the past couple weeks of Uncharted Territory. And a, uh, a good way to close out the show heading into American Rana where you have, and the card goes on as uh, Reynolds against Silver, Bear Country against LAX, Chuck O'Neill, Utah. Um, there's a ty- there's a, uh, a wacky ladder match scheduled, Rock and Roll Express, Butcher and the Blade. Orange Cassidy uh, is against R.D. Evans, which they never built at all, which I was quite disappointed in. Uh, Gage and Santel against Alvarez and Lawler. Dickinson... As we know, this, the the 17-week journey of training for Daisuke Sakamoto after winning the um, Lethal Lottery, Stat- Statlander, Lee in a cage, and then Janela Star Iron Man match. So, American Rana was definitely built uh, 95% very well for every single match on the card. I couldn't ask for anything literally more except the R.D. Evans angle, in which... He did attack him once and gets the the title shot. I will say that much. So, with that, I am going to take a break and uh, probably record the next half another time. So, in your ears, it will be simultaneous. In my ear, in in my voice, it's going to be a little while. I'm back, we're back, it's the second half of the Red Leaf Retrocast Wrestling Edition, episode 36. We've gotten past all of the miscellaneous wrestling, the single matches, if you will. We've gotten past the weekly wrestling, the wrestler spotlight. Now we're into the crux, the major shows, the major events. Uh, and with that, we're getting closer to WCW Nitro, which means I, during the break, my break... Yes, I have indeed negged on my words. I have poured myself some whiskey, so I'm very much prepared for to drink for good wrestling and to drink for bad wrestling. Well, speaking of drinking, uh, this past Sunday, I was at Beyond Wrestling's American Rana 19, a show with at least a thousand people in attendance. Uh, it was the biggest Beyond Wrestling show I've ever been to, uh, I believe... If I have the numbers right, uh, for the past, for Impact, Slammiversary, and Ring of Honor's last major show, American Rana supposedly outdrew it. So there you go on that. <clears throat> so American Rana 19, it's their biggest show of the year. This is what Uncharted Territory was seemingly all building towards, every match. Did it leave, live up to the expectations uh, that were upon it? Well... I am happy to say that, well, let me let me start with the event itself. Uh, it was at the Foxwoods Resort and Casino in Connecticut. Uh, 
And it was a, uh, I've never been there before. Uh, people in Rhode Island here, uh, seem to like going there. That or the, uh, the Twin Rivers Casino is very popular. Well, the, uh, the Foxwoods Resort and Casino is, is quite nice. I really like it. It's like a, it's like a mall slash casino setup. Um, reminds me of those really nice casino, uh, like mid-range casinos you see in Vegas. Um. So it's at the uh, it's at the back of the uh, of the casino. It's in the premier ballroom, um, and it was a good hour just waiting to get inside. Uh, you had to go through the metal detectors and everything. Uh, a good chunk of the wrestlers were set up uh, on the entrance way, or after you get after you get inside the area, uh, you get stamped and whatnot. Uh, they give you a specific stamp for wherever you're gonna stand or sit. And then you go inside, They're, all the wrestlers have their tables and merch, a uh, good chunk of them anyways. Uh, that was really nice, got to uh, say hi to the Rock and Roll Express, uh, David Starr was there as usual, um, Solo Darling, but no no Joey Janela, Chris Statlander, uh, Orange Cassidy was off in a corner with a suitcase open, so he was very much staying in character. Um, and then that was... Kind of it. So it was. It was a lot of the undercard, uh, besides the ones I've ju- I just named. Uh, Daisuke Sakamoto was there post show. I I said awesome match, thank you, uh, and so on and so forth. Found out that a- upon arriving and getting into that area, there was no alcohol allowed uh, in the arena area, and uh, after everyone clamored to go to the single bar, <laughs> every. Everyone, like, would you would see them chugging down their drinks before the metal detector. The guys at the metal detector weren't letting uh, the drinks through. And then I met with some of the ring crew, uh, including uh, one of the commentators. I won't name names. <laughs> Leave that to your imagination. But uh, apparently to the guys at Beyond Wrestling, they you were allowed... Uh, the drinks inside, but no one told the staff that. So there was a, there was some confusion there, and then um, so after the first intermission, everyone was allowed to get inside. They were they were also charging people for water bottles, but if you just happened to leave the area and go to the main casino, you could get water for free. So a lot of the wrestlers and I started doing that. I, I was spreading the word, so that was kind of funny. So instead of spending five dollars on this tiny bottle of water, you just go to the bar. That's just right outside, all you have to do is go through the metal detector again. It wasn't that big a deal. There was two 20-minute intermissions, which I very much welcomed. Uh, I got to sit in the, sit next to um, a lot of the Beyond Wrestling crew uh, for a little bit of the show, at least during the intermissions. I got to hang out with them, talk to them. Very nice, as usual. And uh, I wanted my general admission standing seat. I love doing that at Beyond shows. I like being as close to the ring as possible without actually being on the ring. And, uh, so I got to see some just crazy spots up close and personal. It was amazing to see. It's definitely, uh, is it my favorite live show I've been to this year? I think it might. I think it might. But let's get started. They, they had, there was a dark match of, uh, Layla Hirsch against, um, D.L. Hurst, in which we saw the very tiny little girl beat D.L. Hurst, so, uh, take that for what you will. And uh, if you pay attention to my Twitter, at BullyingJD, I was live-tweeting during this event uh, upon each match's completion. I didn't 
really, uh, I, I kept track of all, all the match times so I can look at them later. So I do have those right here, my own personal times while at the event. Uh, so match one was Alex Reynolds uh, taking on John Silver, their little grudge match of their tag team. Disforming during Uncharted Territory, Silver's wanted Reynolds for quite some time. They've had kind of back-and-forth little uh, I-can-one-up-the-other-guy ri rivalry. Well, Alex Reynolds, in dick dickish fashion, gets one over on John Silver. Uh, so I don't think this feud's over. Uh, then we had our tag team match. How, how long did that How long did that John Silver match go? Was that the first one? Yeah. Uh, oh, I didn't have the time written down on that one. I started on the second one. Yes. So the second match was uh, for the uh, moniker of being Beyond Wrestling's Tag Team Aces. So think of it as the tag titles, if you will, without actual titles. It was Bear Country taking on EYFBO, entertaining your fucking balls off for eight years straight now, Angel Ortiz and Mike Drastic, the uh, otherwise known as LAX, call him Santana. And um, this was a really fun match. Uh, EYFBO, aka LAX, uh, controlled a good chunk of the match, doing heel tactics, and the crowd was firmly be behind them, uh, really taking a lot of the spotlight away from Bear Country. Uh, I was very much rooting for the the big bears. Uh, Angel Ortiz was just on fire with his comedy. Uh, they were they were doing figure four spots of grabbing the ropes behind the referee's back, uh, antagonizing. I think it's uh, Bear Beefcake, uh, so they could keep doing some heel tactics. And eventually, it went on to a full-on tornado tag type match that tag tag matches uh, break out into today. And it gets to a super near fall at the end. They all hit their, their big uh, tag team finishing maneuvers. Bear Country hits theirs one more time. And I believe Angel Ortiz ate the pin. And Mike just could not break up the pin in time. The ref called that he just missed the shoulder coming up. Uh, one, two, three. The pin at 14 minutes, 41 seconds. And uh, post-match... Team Tremendous hits the ring and puts down a beating on uh, on Bear Country. So we, uh, they have an immediate tag team ace angle uh, right after the match. LAX comes out for the save, declares them the new tag team aces of Beyond. So could this mean the end of LAX and Beyond and signing with AEW? Very well uh, could be and a good possibility. Those guys are just machines. Uh, and if you don't remember, on Uncharted Territory, Bear Country was supposed to take on Team Tremendous uh, until, uh, I believe, it was one of them had his uh, emergency appendectomy, of all things. So I'm looking forward to seeing, uh, perhaps, uh, this Wednesday, an Uncharted uh, Season 1 finale of that match occurring. The next match, and this is all in the first hour, which was free on independent wrestling TV. Uh, the next match was one building for a little while as well. It was Wheeler Yuta taking on uh, the legit Cold Steel Chuck O'Neill. And the whole story here was Yuta has come back from Germany. He's learned that catch wrestling. He can reverse out of the deadly Chuck O'Neill armbar. Well, this one, uh, well, Chuck O'Neill uh, was wearing pigtails. Um, it's quite funny. <laughs> Crowd hated him. Unfortunately, Wheeler Yuta could not get the job done. He loses in four minutes and six seconds. 
So, despite a decent build for a uh, a pre-show type match, um, Cold Steel just gets gets a gets it going and puts the guy down in less than five minutes. So poor Utah. And at the end of the first hour, we had the most ridiculous ladder match I've ever seen. Is for the brand new. Uh, look, brand new look. The title's been been there. Feast Championship Wrestling Title Ladder Match. The participants were uh, Kikutaru, who I didn't know, whom I didn't know was going to be in the match before. Kobe Durst, Marco Stunt, Puff, Swoggle, aka Hornswoggle, Johnny Cockstrong, Retrosexual AG, Alex Zane, who was very out of place in this match, Cheeseburger, and Solo Darling. Solo Darling, the most over in the match by a long shot. Uh, Anthony Green was accompanied by his Platinum Honeys. Uh, Ken Doan ends up getting... No, Ken Doan was definitely in this match as well. Yeah, wonder why they must have missed putting them on there. Um, so Ken Doan was accompanied by uh, Cameron Zagami and uh, Christian Casanova. They played their little part. Uh, basically, it was... Comedy extraordinaire. Swoggle had his little one-on-one with Marco Stunt, which was ridiculous. Kikutaro uh, played his role. He was uh, peeking up Solo Darling's uh, butt while she was climbing the ladder. She wasn't having that. Johnny Cockstrom busted out a, a dildo with, with Christmas lights on it and hit uh, somebody on the top of the turnbuckle. Don't even remember. I believe it was Alex Zane who ends up hitting a 630 onto a dude on a ladder, which I just went, why? <laughs> I mean, it was really cool, but fuck. It looked like his head almost went through, like, upon landing, hit the guy's stomach, uh, and went in between the stomach and the ladder portion. So it looked quite dangerous. Cheeseburger had his spot, you know, the 138-pound dude. Uh, and what ends up happening is... Platinum Honeys get involved, Anthony Green and Doan have their little uh, exchange, and eventually Solo Darling ties up Ken Doan in a ladder as they are both at the end of the match. Uh, Solo Darling steps on his crotch while he's tied up and goes and grabs the belt. So the match was absolutely horrible. Uh, <laughs> it was it was very rough to watch. Like, guys would get take a simple little spot and they'd be down for five to seven minutes uh, until they waited their turn to get in. That's what... That's what these ladder matches always entail if you have so many people. Just someone takes a single bump and then they just kind of hang outside. I remember a few guys in the uh, in the audience and around me, they're just like, so is anyone else in this match or they all just die? <laughs> but yeah, Solo Darling wins and um, that pop was quite something for when she ends up winning uh, this title. The match went 17 minutes and 19 seconds. It was quite, it was uh, quite lengthy. Uh, our next match was the uh, Josh Briggs versus Johnny Foxwoods. Uh, the, the, probably the best part of this match was uh, Johnny John Hennigan, aka John Morrison. Johnny Impact was exactly that. Yeah, everybody in the crowd was chanting all of his different names, uh, and and uh, Johnny Foxwoods was having uh, quite a time of it, and. So they end up having just a uh, a very normal match, uh, not much not much to it other than that 
it goes 12 minutes, 44 seconds, and the uh, the big angle afterwards was the lights goes off, and MJF comes out from the lights being turned back on, kicks Briggs in the nuts, so that sets that up. And Johnny, John Morrison, John Johnny Foxwoods, ends up going over off of uh, pulling a parkour-style kick low blow, and then hits his starship pain. So the better wrestler goes over, but I don't know. Maybe the lights should have turned out for MJF to give Morrison the win, but who knows. Our next match was the Rock and Roll Express uh, defeating the Butcher and the Blade. Uh, The match was very short. It went 4 minutes, 48 seconds. It kind of did everything it needed to do. Everyone was very happy to see uh, the old timers in the ring they were pulling off. Your basic tag team maneuvers, but doing it very smooth and well. And uh, the Butcher and the Blade was just there to essentially get the Rock and Roll Express over as these legends. Uh, so I'm okay with this. I was very okay with this match. It was it was entertaining. Uh, they didn't try to do too much with it. Uh, Butcher and the Blade can easily afford a loss. As I said before, I am just not too impressed with them, although I do like their look. Uh, it was just nice to see the legends go over. Uh, let's see. Ah. R.D. Evans, career versus Orange Cassidy for the IWTV title. Uh, R.D. Evans is also known as the Quit Man, and this was exactly an Orange Cassidy match. It was full of the comedy, the uh, R.D. Evans trying to be real serious about this, but he's not too... like. He's trying to be serious, but he's coming off. It's coming off as this guy's pretty ridiculous. He doesn't. I don't know. He was. He was. Uh, you know, there was soft slapping, uh, trying to do shoulder blocks, but Cassidy would just walk out of the way, just not having any of it. Uh, and they did the same thing twice. And what I mean is, so the so as soon as they hit a certain time. R.D. Evans cries out, this is for my career, and he gets rolled up. Orange Cassidy wins in 2 minutes 56 seconds. Then the funny promo afterwards happens, where he gets on the the mic because his career's over. And R.D. Evans gets on the mic, and as Cassidy's walking out, he he goes, uh, hey, Fast and the Furious was was an awful movie. Everyone's like, ooh. And he goes, and Fast Five was the worst one, and Cassidy just storms the ring. He's not having that. Apparently it's his quote-unquote favorite movies. <laughs> so Cassidy gets on the gets in the ring. He uh, takes his sunglasses off. Um, no, uh, he still has his sunglasses on from his first victory. R.D. Evans proceeds to break uh, two of them because he pulls another one out of his pocket. Then the ref pulls out a pair of sunglasses out of his pocket. So we've gone through four pairs of sunglasses at this point. Uh, <laughs> and... Um, more comedy, uh, they try to have a little bit of a match for a couple minutes, it goes 8 minutes, 21 seconds, Orange retains for the second time. It's quite entertaining, so if you combine the two matches, it was 10 minutes. A little bit more with, uh, with all the segments involved. Mm. Drink to Orange Cassidy. Not Orange Juice. He does give R.D. Evans a, uh, <laughs> a thing of Orange Juice as, like, a parting gift to his... Quite funny. 
Our next match was Brian Alvarez and Filthy Tom Lawler, a.k.a. the Chop and Roll Express, facing off against Nerder, Death Kill, the team of Thomas Santel, the most over character in Beyond Wrestling, I would argue, and Nick Gage, Murder, Death Kill himself. Uh, Tom Lawler was wearing a headband to match his tag team partner, Brian Alvarez. The crowd hates Brian Alvarez. They make f- they were calling everything he was doing negative two stars in the in the uh, in the in the in the seats, uh, t- saying his book is shitty. Uh, I I bought I have his two books. I quite enjoy them myself. Uh, they they simply state the facts. Um, well, Tom Lawler was kind of joking around for a good chunk of it. He was taking a good brunt of the beating from Santel and Gage. Uh, the whole the whole purpose was leading up to Brian Alvarez, the crowd wanting to see this guy die at the hands of Nick Gage, and sure as shit, that is what ends up happening. There's there's isolation games between the Chop and Roll Express uh, on Santel, and um, as soon as Nick Gage got his hands on Brian Alvarez, the place came unglued. It was quite something to behold. Uh, so uh, the match wasn't anything too special but hot damn it was one of the 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 more rowdy matches of the night um so there you go uh what ends up happening is nick gage gets his hands on him uh brian alvarez does try to throw three super kicks into gage's face in which he no sells so it just did, did not work and right before gage gets his hands on him filthy tom pushes his buddy out of the way to save him but he ends up taking the blow himself then they do get their hands on Alvarez, choke slam backbreaker uh, into a spike pile driver. After that, uh, so Alvarez eats the pin. The crowd goes crazy. How long was that match? Twelve minutes. Alrighty, and now our last three matches, and uh, this these were easily the matches of the night here, especially this one. Dickinson taking on Sekimoto, his. 14-plus week journey uh, ever since winning um, Lethal Lottery. Lethal Lottery? Yes. And calling out Sekimoto for American Rana. He's been facing crazy opponents, hard-hitting matches, all on uncharted territory. It was one of the best... It's not even a feud, technically, I guess, with him and Sekimoto, but the build to it was so much fun. And this match lived up to all the hype it had in my head, and more. Because, holy shit, uh, Dickinson and Sekimoto had the hardest of stiff matches. Just chops, and thumping uh, cross chops, and and suplexes. It was just nonsensical. It got to the point where... Uh, everyone in the crowd just never, not once thought that uh, Dickinson was going to lose per se. They were all 100% behind him. They're yelling dick strings and, uh, excuse me, dirty daddy this. Uh, you see just uh, stiff lariats and chops and the sweat just flying off him hard. Uh, it really reminded me of a G1 type match that you would see. And at uh, 1552... Dickinson does end up winning, uh, hitting the Pazuzu Bomb. Uh, holy crap. Uh, this was my match of the night. I had to, like, sit down and have a beer. Uh, if I was, if I, if, if, uh, if I smoked, I would have had a cigarette. 
<laughs> it, it was just amazing. Uh, this is my recommended match. Easily. Uh, everyone threw money in the ring and the dick strings uh, that that were being passed out around the crowd. Uh, yeah, go to my Twitter. I, I took a good caption of, of people throwing strings in the ring and money. So there you go. Uh, just Sekimoto's a tank. It was really cool seeing him live. Uh, so now I've seen Okada, uh, Tanahashi, uh, Ibushi, Osprey, and now Sekimoto live. Uh, I couldn't be happier. Uh, Sekimoto is a, a friggin' legend. Love that guy. Uh, and then we had our last two matches. The cage match between Statlander and uh, Kimberly uh, is built off this grudge that uh, who's going to be the top female in Beyond Wrestling. And so um, a really tiny cage, too, I will say. So the whole objective wasn't really to exit the cage as it was to have a definitive victory over your opponent uh, by all means. Because at Lethal Lottery, they had a one-on-one -on -one match in which... Uh, Statlander no-sold the Swanton Bomb and rolled Kimberly up. And um, then Statlander won the IWTV title, and then Kimberly cost her the title because, well, the match at Lethal Lottery was not a definitive ending. It was kind of a cheap ending. And so we got the, that led to this cage match. Uh, the cage match was less than 10 minutes. It went 8 minutes, 25 seconds. And I think it did everything it set out to do. Uh, both girls bled. Uh, where uh, Statlander went for like this torpedo dive uh, into Kimberly, but Kimberly uh, countered and Statlander went face first into the mesh, uh, got busted open like almost immediately, two minutes in the match, and she proceeded to have a crimson mask like the whole time. Uh, and then when she gets, uh, she gets on her roll, she throws Kimberly and grinds her face up against the cage, and uh, cuts her open at the top, turning a good chunk of her her blonde hair red, uh, a la Ric Flair type bleeding. It was uh, they had a big brawl. There was no introductions. It was just here we go. Kimberly ran into the ring, and they start brawling. And the the match never let up. Uh, Statlander wins off a 450 splash, uh, not from the top of the cage, but from the top turnbuckle. Might as well have been the top of the cage. Uh, really good. Uh, people were squeak. This is this was interesting. I had never I have never seen uh, women wrestlers bleed live before, and uh, the women that were in the audience were very squeamish and they didn't like that. And then the a, lot, a few of the men were pretty a good chunk were silent about it. And uh, there was a, only a handful of us that were just like, hell yes, this is awesome. This is a grudge match. The The contestants are bleeding. Uh, this is awesome, right? Uh, I really enjoyed this. Uh, there was a good fisticuffs exchange. It always happens. They're just going back and forth. Uh, so this match lived up to my expectations as well, despite it being under 10 minutes. What's going on here? Ah, yeah, my Nintendo Switch Online renewal. Mm. So good on you, girls. Friggin' loved it. Looking forward to what the future has in store for both of them, actually. And now we're on to our main event. And uh, I'm glad I <laughs> tweeted every fall and what happened on the fall so I can just read it uh, instead of going off... Uh, 
uh, awful notes. So when the cage was getting torn down, there was a big announcement from Mr. Uh, Denver, Colorado, DC of of Beyond Wrestling. The big question is, is there going to be an Uncharted Season 2? And he goes, I have great news, uh, and it involves so much more than anticipated. And what does he announce? But not only a Season 2, but also in, uh, in conjunction with sports entertainment uh, of New England, I believe it's New England, uh, they have their own venue. So kind of like ECW always went out of the little ECW arena. Um, Monday Night Raw at the very beginning was always out of the Manhattan Center. Well, this is their own arena. So, uh, And it's out of Pawtucket, Rhode Island. And it's going to be every Thursday night starting October 3rd of all dates. So the day after AEW debuts on TNT... Beyond Wrestling is going to be debuting on IWTV every Thursday night. And a little bonus was every Tuesday night, they're going to have uh, essentially the, the the Discovery Gauntlet situation. So I'm going to do my best. Uh, Thursday, I would have gone to more Uncharted Territories live if Bullen wasn't on Wednesday nights for me. But since this is on Thursday night, uh, I unless I'm sick or just not feeling it, I will be going to a good chunk of these shows, I think, live. And um, rather than just report this we- uh, weekly on the podcast, I just I just can tell if anything stood out to me uh, for these live events. All right, so on to the main event. So I'm very I'm very excited for that uh, that news. The 60 minute Iron Man match of David Starr taking on Joey Janela. Uh, kind of a mixture of who's the ace of Beyond Wrestling, and who's the best wrestler ever in Beyond Wrestling history. Uh, it starts out as a wrestling match, as uh, proposed by Joey Janela, and it that lasts all of about 10 minutes. And then the weapons are brought in, uh, specifically a chair, in which then Star at 11.55... Uh, does a German suplex, which he's known to be, to have beaten guys before. Uh, I've seen it in Europe a few times. Uh, through a a uh, a sit out chair, so he gets one nothing, uh, two nothing to star after a uh, DDT reversal onto a chair placed on the ap- apron at 16 minutes 15 seconds. So we kind of see what's happening here. Uh, at 18:45, David Starr goes up three nothing via submission with the help of a chair. So he has him in this um, reverse sharpshooter situation and uh, uses the the head of the chair to pry on Joey Janela's neck. So pretty cool. David Starr basically commanded the first 20 minutes of this match. He he got Joey Janela through uh, a lot. And then it became a fucking hardcore spot fest. This was Joey Janela's specialty. And that's when uh, Janela turned the tide. At 21 minutes and 9 seconds... Uh, Janela finally gets the vicious kendo stick that David Starr had initially brought out to the match, and he just cracks him hard across the head. It was technically on the shoulder, but hey, it was convincing enough. It was on the head. David Starr's busted open real bad, 3-1. to one. Joey gets one back. 25 mil- minutes, uh, Joey Janela gets another one back. He reverses... Uh, a uh, figure four leg lock, surprisingly enough, and this causes uh, David Starr to tap. So now it's three to two, and then not much more long, not much longer after that, thirty-one twenty-five. 
It's tied 3-3. Three to three. Janela does a package pile driver onto a, just a pile of chairs. Uh, crowd goes nuts on this spot. Firmly behind Joey Janela, the match has officially gone crazy. Then, I can't remember if this is before or after, but there is a spot, I believe this is in between uh, the 6th and 7th fall, where Janela has this bright idea, uh, because he's put out David Starr, um, to... Oh, here we go. Uh, David Starr sets up a table, right? And on the outside, and I'm standing right there. And then uh, they fight on the apron for a little bit. And uh, Janela ends up doing a over-the-top rope Canadian Destroyer to David Starr through the table. Fucking nonsense spot. Uh, definitely seek out that that little gif on Twitter. It is It, it was remarkable to see how no one died. Uh, so they're both down. Joey Janela gets up, and he has this bright idea to go find one of the cage ends that's been put off to the side. Uh, and then he sets up the barricade, so now he has the cage side uh, horizontal to the ring apron and the uh, barricade. You get what I'm saying here, guys? It is, it is, it is set up like a, uh, like a bridge. Uh, then he puts a... Ladder in the ring, ironically the same ladder from the uh, ladder match earlier in the night, and uh, he jumps off it onto David Starr. Somehow the mesh does not break. Uh, I was so scared for them in that one because from my vantage point, I just see the I just see Janela jump off the ladder uh, onto Starr, and then they disappear. But I didn't hear a thump or anything, so I'm like, what What the fuck happened? <laughs> Uh, so they do get back in the ring, um, and after some hubbub and rigmarole, at 35 minutes, 52 seconds, Mr. Small Package strikes, David Starr gets one up 4-3. to three. Uh, 11 minutes left, Joey Janela powerbombs David Starr onto a vertical setup trash can, which looked like it sucked. <laughs> Would not want to be part of that. So, uh, with 10 minutes left in the match, they just do psychotic things. Uh, David Starr gets the, uh, the, the big, the big one is, uh, the kendo stick always started coming back. It was, it was in half. Um, they're sta they're st quote unquote stabbing each other with it using the, uh, the stick end that has just a sliver on it as like a whip. Uh, David Starr, uh, breaks off the metal table, like, part of it, and he wants to spike Joey Janela, but the ref won't let him. David Starr gets super pissed off. The ref is, as we understood it, looking out for the wrestler's well-being rather than caring about the match. And uh, David Starr just goes insane. Uh, he's really talking bad to the ref. The ref gets in his face, takes his shirt off. Uh, <laughs> David Starr chops him. Uh, and then and then takes him out, so he's out of the match. New ref comes out. Star even puts his that that ref shirt on, and this match has now gone on so long that David Star has stopped bleeding. Surprisingly enough, Joey Janela never bled. 
Also, surprisingly enough, there was no thumbtacks in the match. There was a crazy uh, double door spot like uh, in the Chris Stotlander match on uh, Uncharted Territory. Uh, Joey Janela does end up getting uh, the better of David Starr, takes him into the corner. He's spiking him with the metal bar in the corner, and he... (laughs) I'm right... I'm like a foot away from this. Joey Janela looks into the crowd... As he's spiking David Starr's head, his eyes roll in the back of his head. He puts his free hand down his pants and sticks his tongue out with a big goofy smile on his face like he's getting off on this uh, on this death match. Um, so they have one last fury uh, flurry with a couple minutes left. Joey Janela super kicks David Starr finally. Three, two, bang. One second left. Joey Janela does win it five to four. What a way they end the night. Joey Janela um, does a super promo saying that he didn't, he doesn't want to deliver pizzas anymore. He looks forward to seeing everyone in AEW. He, he needs the money. <laughs> and then David Starr himself cuts a uh, uh, independent wrestlers union promo, which got a big reaction out of the crowd. So what a night. Uh, I did hit up a little bit of the after party uh, after the event. Uh, just for a good 30 minutes uh, with the Platinum Honeys and LAX. It was, uh, it was a lot of fun. Uh, what a match. What a night. What a live event. Um, and, man, that took up a lot of time. That was uh, 35 minutes in this section alone. So American Rana was a big success. I look forward to uh, American Rana 20, assuming I still live in Rhode Island by that time. All right. Time to play the next one. Take a sip of whiskey. For a great wrestling live show. And we'll move on to... Uh... Where is it? Stardom. You blocked me on Facebook. And now you're going to die. Yes, indeed. Yes, indeed. Make my notes. So, Stardom... Uh, we are covering uh, St- Wonder World Stardom from July 14th to July 20th. So just a, uh, a short little window right before their uh, the big Corican show uh, that was coming up with the big um, B. Priestley title defense against um, Momo Watanabe, of all people. So I could be looking, uh, looking bad for my bet with JPQ. Haven't watched it yet, and I haven't watched it yet on purpose because there's just so much to talk about here. First event is Shinkiba on July 14th, 2019. Uh, few matches of note here, as usual. Uh, team of Saki and Tama Nakano versus Natsu Sumere and Natsu Katora. So, good stars versus Oedo Tai match here. Uh, so, the Natsu Saki feud continues, and Tam has been brought into this due to her panda bear being stolen and beaten on a previous show by Natsu and Tora. Those monsters. I believe I forgot to mention that on the previous show as well. Like the, yeah, someone on Twitter even posted a gif. It like goes black and white as they're beating up the the stuffed panda bear. Mm. Pre-match promos has uh, Oedo Tai joking around. Uh, Natsu cutting a cadence-like speech promo of, uh, you know, she's going to do her best kind of situation. Uh, So they're joking, they're having a good time. Meanwhile, Tam, Tam has uh, lost all emotion due to her panda, a.k.a. Pison, uh, now stolen. 
she's very sad. Very sad. Uh, during the name entrances, Natsu uh, goes as far as lewdly licking Pisan as uh, Saki and Tom look on in confusion and horror. Uh, the bell rings, and Tom is just in a panic, wanting her Pisan back. Then it becomes a normal match, mostly, uh, from there. Uh, there was a moment when uh, Saki was going to get the best of Tora, but then Natsu throws Pisan at her uh, for the distraction, leading into a Tora spear. Of course... Tora quickly got Pisan back. Quick. <laughs> uh, Saki does end up pinning Natsu for the win and cuts a promo that she is tired of Natsu always pulling her crap. Natsu then follows that up with a sick burn of, well, I don't usually do this, but you best train for that artist title match. Ooh, the crowd goes. <laughs> and then they escape with Pisan, of course. Uh... Yes, Oedo Tai and Stars have an artist title match coming up, if that wasn't clear. Uh, we have a trios match. Stars, uh, the team of Starlight Kid, Arisa, and Mayu Iwatani, versus the Queen's Quest team of Momo, Utami, and Azumi. Uh, this was your typical stardom trios, trios match. Uh, my takeaway this time is Mayu is uh, still hopping around, very spry, which is nice to see. Uh, further get her back into, back into form. Azumi and Starlight Kid uh, do a hot... Crazy fucking awesome Lucha Libre start exchange. Uh, it even got went a little viral on Twitter because Osprey uh, retweeted it. Uh, Azumi wins uh, the match by doing a double foot stomp, looking like she breaks her kneecaps upon landing, uh, as always. Uh, she has just come back from injury and still can't land this move right. I'm very worried for her. Her knees are even taped up like Naito these days. It's, uh, it's quite concerning for... Such a young star. Young up-and-coming star. Anyways, uh, she does hit La Mystica into the Nagata lock. Starlight Kid taps out. Uh, that's what it all led to. Uh, and then our 4v4 main event. Uh, it's Tokyo Cyber Squad Death. Uh, Yamasan, Konami, Jungle, and Hana. So the A-team against uh, the Oedo Tai team of uh, Miyagi, Kagetsu, Hazuki, and Hater. So their A-team. Pre-match promo shows Hana in a crazy new cyberpunk goggles, uh, painted blue and pink. She obviously can't see them, see through them. Uh, Death Yamasan just being her. And then Jungle Kiona pops in having a shirt not on, just kind of covering up her top. And she holds it up and then says with a bottle of oil in her hand, I want Miyagi. I'll peel her dirty skin off with this deep cleansing oil. <laughs> and if you look to the left, Konami just can't hold back her laugh, laughter and smile during all of this. It's just, like, three just nonsense character work right here. It's great. The true essence of the Tokyo Cyber Squad. Uh, so let's see if uh, Konami can channel her inner crazy charisma here. So, hell, when the match starts, a brawl immediately happens, and Miyagi and uh, Kiona go outside, squirt oil in their hands, and do a test of strength battle until that's broken up. Amazing. And, uh, dear God, Hana's personality is just off the chain. Uh, she's sticking her hips out, she's clapping sarcastically golf-style, taunting a tie, doing the thumbs-in-the-ears waving thing. Uh, list goes on. It's no wonder she's so popular. Uh, she's my, currently my favorite stardom, uh, wrestler. 
Anyways, it was a super fun match that comes down to Jungle and Miyagi going 1v1, ending with an Oedo tie sign crack uh, to the head. This goes into a Miyagi tombstone for their win. And even though losing, Hanakamura declares, or better yet, begs like an anime girl to the Commissioner Ogawa while flossing the, uh, yeah, that dance for an artist title match, even though Oedo tie had the next one. So, uh,. There's that. What is going on with my Twitter here? Ah. I have been tagged. Best mute that conversation while I have the chance. Yes, mute this. Okay. Alright. Nagoya, July 15th, Big Summer. Yeah, we've started the Big Summer Tour for Stardom. Uh, Last time we were in Nagoya was that just... Amazing match between Jungle Kiona and Momo Watanabe. Uh, I get I give it a uh, four and a half, four seven five stars uh, for that one. So we got Stars versus Oedo Tai. That's Arisa and Starlight versus Hazuki and Kagetsu. Pre-match promo: Starlight and Arisa make reference to uh, Kagetsu mocking their poses lately, and then uh, Kagetsu ends up winning this match by applying a just the most back of breaking Boston Crab I've seen in a long time. She leans all the way back and basically turns Starlight inside out. Just ouch. Uh, then a scrum breaks out between Hazuki and Arisa over the white belt to tease their future match that's coming at uh, Cork and Hall. So, uh, very good little thing there happening. Uh, we get our artist titles match of TCS and uh, the champs, stars. So the TCS team is Hana and Zobi. That's uh, Zoe Lucas and Bobby Tyler. Uh, and our champions are, of course, Tom Nakano, Mayu, and Saki. Hana was the star again, as she is. Uh, her and Mayu end up having a good 1v1, uh, which took up a good portion of this match, especially at the start. Uh, one star's finally got a leg up on TCS. They never looked back, though. Uh, with a flourish of kicks and tag maneuvers, taking out all of TCS at once. Uh, the finish went uh, to triple drop kicks, putting TCS outside to the floor, followed by all of Stars leaping from the top rope, doing crossbodies to the outside. It was a pretty cool spot. Uh, Hana seemed to have hurt her knee when she uh, she uh, caught her opponent, so I hope she's hope she was just selling really well. You can never tell with her sometimes. I guess that proves how good she is. At least in that regards. Uh, All of Stars then bombard Bobby Tyler with kicks. Maya Iwatani uh, hits her moonsault for the victory. There you go. Uh, Now we get our big tag team title match, a.k.a. the Goddess Belts. The champions Utami and Momo of Queen's Quest taking on the Tokyo Cyber Squad team of Jungle Kiona and Konami. I said it before, and I predicted these would be the two... To take the tag belts, starting from the second Konami and Kiona ended up in Hana's faction during the stardom draft. So did they? Well, it just so happens to be Konami's birthday, and in Jungle Kiona's hometown of Nagoya. Of course, they claim they have a 100% chance of winning. Chak porcento. <laughs> uh, so the first 10 minutes just eat, just flies by, with both teams fighting constantly. No team can gain control over another. Uh, I do love this dynamic. It's very Dragon Gate kind of situation. Then, Workhorse Jungle Kiona kicks in. 
to fight basically the whole match from there. It's a 1v1 against Momo for the first, and then Utami at the 15-minute mark uh, after that. Uh, Utami, she pulls out some signature moves uh, with some tag help from... Uh, yeah, so Kiona and Konami uh, pull out some tag maneuvers against Utami. Uh, and then Konami hits her splash. Utami kicks out and counters into her sleeper hold, which Kiona sells like a goddamn champ. Uh, Utami and Momo start uh, start to team up, hitting uh, the press down Peach Sunrise maneuver, then uh, a deadlift German, but Kiona somehow kicks out of this, uh, which vastly shocked me. I was very much taken out of my seat for that one. Uh, this is followed up immediately by Utami hitting a uh, Torture Rack spinning powerbomb, which again, Kiona barely kicks out, and I'm like, holy shit, they have to be winning this match now. Uh, Konami evens the odds for Kiona... Uh, with her hometown fighting spirit, rallies back, hits a spiked muscle buster, a.k.a. the Kaniku Buster of all things. Uh, apparently, uh, Jungle Kiona hit this move in her match against Momo. I remember something else where it was just a regular muscle buster. She wasn't able to hit the full Kaniku Buster. Uh, Momo does save the match off this move, so then this made me go, oh no, they're losing. <laughs> But then Konami helps her out, cuts Momo off immediately. Uh, they both clothesline her out of the ring. Uh, Kiona gut wrench, last ride, power bomb, and TCS are the new goddess champions. What a twenty-minute affair! It it definitely hit that prime time with me. Uh, the the near falls were really good. It really took me out of my seat on both ends. I didn't know who was gonna win. What even when I was sure, it was just turned around on me. And, uh, unfortunately for TCS, the celebration didn't last long as Miyagi and Kagetsu immediately come out to challenge for the Korokin Hall show on July 24th for the tag belts. Hells yes. Ugh. What an event. I freaking love that tag team match. Jungle Kiona was a machine. Mmm. I'll drink to good wrestling there. Mmm. On to Osaka, July 20th, at the Edeon. Uh, an old Japan, I believe it's an old Japan uh, stomping ground, for the most part. Uh, stardom comes here all the time. Uh, Bobby Tyler versus Starlight Kid, pretty good 8-minute match. Some botches, but not devastating to the match. Uh, Starlight seemed to have a rougher time than usual against a much bigger opponent. Uh, and Bobby Tyler still pretty green, but visibly improving each tour. Tyler wins via a bicycle kick. So, uh, there you go. TCS, Hana, Kiona, Konami, so your A-Squad versus Queen's Quest, Priestley, Momo, and Leo. So I think we know what's happening here. Loving Kiona now, just busting out the big swing lately. It's very, uh, gets the crowd pumped every time. Anyways, very straightforward. Hana takes on Leo at the end, and, uh, fuck. L Leo and Azaki is just so bad. Nothing looks good. Uh... Just, yeah, rightfully so, the rest of TCS get in, just destroy her as Hana picks up another pinfall victory. So she's racking up wins lately. Uh, SWA title match of Utami versus Zoe Lucas. So I just got off watching Leo. Will Zoe Lucas disappoint me? Well, so this match was fine. It was definitely too long. I just never got into it. I really dislike watching Zoe Lucas work in the ring. It's 
she doesn't move right, or at least it doesn't feel like I'm watching a wrestler. You know, her moves are very sporadic and most look half executed. You know, you can it, it's uh it's how I feel when I'm watching Joe Coffee in ICW or uh, from what I've seen him in uh, NXT UK, where you can tell when they're gonna hit their move, and you can tell when they're not gonna hit their move. Like it's very obvious. And in Zoe Lucas's case, even when you know she's going to hit the move, it looks like it's half-cocked, right? It's like you can tell she's holding back. She doesn't want to hurt anyone. So uh, she did do this strange running axe kick uh, to a sat-down Utami that folded her up. That was cool, but even then, the move looked off in some way. Anyways, Utami retained with the uh, torture rack to deadlift German switch pin, uh, which is always a cool move. High-speed title match, Hazuki, the champ, going for the record-breaking high-speed title defense of, I think, eight. Uh, she's in a triple threat against Death Yamasan and Azumi. Uh, yeah, match goes just under five minutes, and if you blink, you would have missed something. So a very Hazuki high-speed title match. Hazuki is basically trying to take both of them on while Death keeps trying to take advantage of the three-way kind of step. Eventually, Hazuki goes for her springboard dropkick, uh, but Death pushes Azumi into her, then Death rolls Azumi up to win the title. All of TCS hit the ring and throw her in the air like it's a big birthday bash. Hazuki sits on the outside, just totally stunned. Then she just storms off, having lost her title. She's totally pissed away someone who lost their title uh, should care which is kind of ironic considering when Hazuki won this title she didn't care about it but she cared about it enough that she wanted to ra uh, raise the prestige of it which I believe she has done so um, death with the crowd in the palm of her hand and TCS doing the rocker death moniker cuts a promo of Cynthia saying happy Death, death, and more death. <laughs> then we have our Oedo Tai and Stars Artist Titles match. It goes 16 minutes, 19 seconds. Um, a uh, This is the Oedo Tai team of Kagetsu, Miyagi, and Natsu Sumire. So if history tells us anything, Natsu Sumire always eats the pins. Or it's Saki, right? But since Stars are the champions and they just won these titles, what are the odds? That Oedo Tai is going to win. I think it very unlikely. Well, how did it go? A decent match with plenty of Oedo Tai chaos. The Mayu and Kagetsu phase was quite strong. And the end of Natsu Sumire hitting big moves but always getting her pin broken up only led to me to believe she was going to eat that pin as usual. However, to my utter shock, and for the first time in her six-year career, Natsu Sumire has won a title in stardom. Yes, Natsu Sumire and Oedo Tai are the new trio's artist champs. Crazy. She had her, uh, she had bolted her finishers on Saki, of course, she pins her. Uh, how'd this go down? Well, Natsu follows up a Kagetsu 450 with her package plant DDT for the second time on Saki. Uh, the first one was broken up. A glorious and wonderful moment for us all. I will drink to the new champion. Mmm. Post-match, she cuts a truly heartfelt babyface promo, really. The huge smile on her face, saying, Six years just flew by. 
Uh, despite knowing she isn't the best wrestler on the roster, she regrets none of the choices she has made, even with her Oedo Tai stablemates, uh, in getting to this point. Uh, Kageto, to her hometown of Osaka, declares she wants to put the best trio's title matches on, and so it's set a six-man tag of Oedo Tai versus Oedo Tai. Uh, the other Oedo Tai team is Hater, Tora, and Hazuki. I'm all for this. Uh, this was a good, solid uh, two-week stretch of stardom matches. The, the, like Every show nailed what it was meant to do. Uh, you had title changes. Everything was hype. I felt like every show was must-watch. I enjoyed every second of it. Good on you, stardom. Now I look forward to the Karak and Hall show. You guys are killing it this summer. Man, oh man. What are we at? Jeez, I've only done two shows and I still have Progress, Dragon Gate, New Japan, and WCW takeoff. This episode's going to be long. Holy shit. Alright. Well, on to Progress. Speaking of. Let's see, what drop am I going to do this time? Progress, progress, progress. Uh, oh, this one, of course. Why did I play Walter's music? Well, not just because I love the wrestler, but because he was the big story of these two nights, along with another wrestler. Uh, so the shows themselves were good, but it was a lot of kind of filler matches, you know. Um, oh, here, let me just go through it. Um, more than hype, the OTT trios team, uh, Darren Kearney, LJ Cleary, Nathan Martin, defeat, do not resuscitate, uh, unfortunately, by DQ in 12 minutes. <laughs> Excuse me. Uh, Yern Simmons um, absolutely murders Connor Mills. I thought it could have been shorter in nine minutes. Uh, Holly Dead defeats Candy Floss in 10 minutes. Went on way too long. Candy Floss is not a good wrestler. Uh, then there was the Progress... Uni oh, this is Chapter 91, Prog on the Tyne. <laughs> then there was the number one contendership match. And I love number one contendership matches. I love them. It immediately makes you care about that match because you know that they have the next title shot, right? It's Dragunov taking on Jordan Devlin. This goes 20 minutes and 58 seconds of hard-hitting Irish ace versus the German ace, Ilya Dragunov. Uh, Dragunov does end up winning against Devlin. It was a good, fast-paced with... Uh, it's a, it's a Jordan-Devlin match, and the best way I can describe it is Dragunov would occasionally do some catch wrestling that he's accustomed to, but Devlin would immediately kind of put a stop to that and hit his more high-flying maneuvers, his, uh, his headbutts, his chops, and Dragunov would then answer. Uh, so Dragunov ends up hitting a torpedo cat, not Moscow, out of nowhere, and he gets the pin. Uh, a very fantastic, faster-paced match. Uh, and really set the stage for um, what we get to look forward to in the title match. Uh, singles match, Primate defeats Paul Robinson uh, by DQ, but this immediately leads to a uh, Jordy Street fight in which Paul Robinson then defeats Primate 
in 9 minutes, 28 seconds. So Primate didn't want to have this match immediately just cut short because Paul Robinson didn't want to uh, have anything to do with him. Um, and if that name sounds familiar, yeah, it's the same Primate that had to temporarily retire last year due to a glass jaw incident. So we'll see what happens. Um, but yeah, Paul Robinson's been racking up a lot of singles victories lately, trying to build up his singles match credibility to eventually face uh, the whomever the Progress Unified champion is uh, at the Toronto show taking place in August, which I am fortunately not, not able to go due to work. Bummer. Uh, that's going to be a WXW Smash Wrestling Progress Wrestling, and uh, there's another company involved. For those like four, for that four day span, it's like SummerSlam weekend too. It's crazy. Uh, David Starr defeats Brent Banks in eleven minutes thirty one seconds. Not much to say there. And then Walter defeats Eddie Kingston by referee's decision in fourteen twenty nine. I did like the finish. The match wasn't anything special. I've never really gotten into Eddie Kingston's matches unless I'm there live. I've seen him live and he's much better. He just his matches don't come across uh, on the screen too well for me. He's very slow. You can tell he's you know, in, his, in the twilight of his career, uh, he's, his knees must just be killing him. Uh, he's a hard-hitting dude, so they try to make up for that with a lot of this uh, strong-style emphasis. And what ends up happening is, is Valter essentially knocks him out and then puts him in the sleeper, and the ref declares Kingston clocked out before Valter can even get the sleeper in. So it was a very unique finish. I quite liked it. And that moves us on to chapter 92, titled Entertaining Friends. And it's much of the same show, uh, with the exception of the main event. Uh, so we get LJ clearly clearly uh, defeating Chuck Mambo. That's kind of playing off their uh, their first match at 91, uh, how Chuck Mambo got DQ'd against Cleary. Uh, Holly Dead defeats Lana Austin in 9 minutes 44 seconds, so Holly Dead has two straight victories, so they're leading up to Holly Dead cha challenging now Jordan Grace for the women's title. Again, not a very good uh, singles match. Holly Dead uh, isn't even the best women's wrestler that I like watching, and Lana Austin is not good. So, it was rough. Jordan Devlin defeats Connor Mills this time, 9 minutes 12 seconds. Uh, a much more game Connor Mills this time around. Jonathan Gresham defeats Eddie Kingston twice via countout uh, in 11 minutes 16 seconds because he was he was he's being Jonathan Gresham he's being very cheeky being CCK like where he uh, he puts Kingston in a submission hold on the outside takes out his knees and uh, then rolls in the ring and beats uh, Kingston post match Kingston's very pissed off and he goes I'm I'm sick and tired of these antics. I know a couple of guys from L.A. that have a bone to pick with CCK as well. He even makes a crack out of uh, out of uh, Kid Lycos saying he's um, like Mr. Glass or something because he's uh, he had to retire due to injuries. Trent Seven defeats Paul Robinson in a 19-minute match, and this was baffling to me. Because Paul Robinson has racked up all these singles victories. Trent Seven comes out of nowhere and is booked to just beat him. So, I don't know what's happening. It, to me, it immediately ruins the credibility of Robinson because he has a title opportunity coming up here in August. Uh, so now I'm just, why bother watching it? It'll just feel like a house show situation. Uh, I'm not saying that Trent Seven should have gone, shouldn't have gone over. I'm saying he probably should have beaten someone else on this night. 
Like maybe <sighs> who else would have been available? You know what? Don't have this tag team match of DNR against More Than Hype, which followed. Uh, I did not like this match. Uh, More Than Hype are very young. They have a lot of room to grow still. The match was only 9.44. I love Spike Trevay. Uh, DNR goes over. Um, you know, probably axe that match altogether. You could even even had a number... Uh, had a tag match involving Cleary and Mambo with a member of each stable on the outside of the ring, uh, and then have Robinson face someone else, and then Seven have a singles match to get kind of his credibility back after his defeat to Valter. But anyways, the uh, the main title match was Valter taking on Dragunov, and uh, I loved what commentary did here. Commentary referenced how they fought four times, uh, three times last year, Singles matches, Dragunov has won three out of four of those times. So they gave a lot of credibility to Dragunov. They, um, I don't think they mentioned how Devlin has a major victory over Valter from uh, Scrappermania 5 just this year. So Dragunov having a decisive victory against Devlin in OTT, or I'm sorry, uh, Dragunov having uh, the decisive victory against a guy who's beaten Valter the way he has, uh, but regardless, I knew that in my head at, at the very least. Uh, this was the best singles match I've seen these two have had. I've seen since uh, since um, 16 Carat of 2018, uh, if I include that triple threat match. Uh, Dragunov and Valter have had five totally different matches than one than than the other. One was kind of a submission based match. One was a triple threat. Uh, another was a straight singles match, and then this one was a, uh, this one wasn't the technical catch style, uh, that I saw in WXW, and I think that also has a lot to do with the ring being much smaller in WXW in Germany. So they were able to move around a lot more, Dragunov was, uh, was able to do a, a, a lot more of his, um, explosive hitting, so... This gave a lot of credibility to the match. Uh, and then Valter uh, wasn't in a catch style. He was more in his hard hitting uh, rather than. Um, so he's not implementing the same strategy. If you're looking for an in-ring story, this is why they call him the ring general. Then the previous couple matches that Dragunov has beaten Valter at just as early as last year. So Valter uh, does end up beating him clean. Um, the match does have a much slower pace. If I'm to compare this match to the Devlin-Dragunov match, uh, this one's much slower. And then I think what's throwing a lot of people out of this this particular title defense is no one believes Valter's going to lose right now. He's too credible as a champion for anyone to rightfully just beat him on a show without like a multi-month buildup or at not being at Alexandra Palace or anything. I was able to suspend my disbelief, I think, more than more than others, because I just truly adored this match. It's one of the um between this and the Devlin Dragonoff match, these are two of the two of the um best indie matches of, of twenty nineteen so far. Do I uh yeah, I have both those matches ranked in my top tens for um indie matches. 
Uh, so definitely go check that out. And that was progress. Looking forward to uh, Cheer Up Juice, which is chapter 93. That should be coming out uh, any day. And with that, I can move on to my next segment. Not too long on progress. Nice and quick. Okay. All right. Got my scotch. And... Oh, there it is. R-E-T. Yes, R-E-D. Dragon Gate 20th Anniversary Kobe Pro Wrestling Festival. Dragon Gate's biggest show of the year. Uh, they were in a bad place last year. Uh, I, I, I've tried to get in the Dragon Gate more and more, and um, ever since Pac got there, he he's injected life into this promotion. With uh, Shima leaving and Shingo leaving, uh, they were definitely missing something, and, and Pac has brought that back. Uh, this, in my opinion, is the best show, best pay-per-view major show of 2019. I adored this. Uh, the first Dragon Gate uh, live show with English commentary with Rich Bokini from uh, MLW and uh, Larry Davis. I believe he's a former Evolve announcer. Uh, he's definitely a former Dragon Gate USA wrestler. Uh, pre-show was straightforward, multi-men tag matches, not much to say there, but they were fun nonetheless. Uh, we got a BB Hulk, uh, returning from a seventh-month, uh, serious neck injury, so it was nice to see him back. Uh, our first official match on the night was a 2v1 handicap match. Choi Hong Man, uh, the big K, the giant K1 fighter, uh, versus Ryo Saito and Hollywood stalker Ichikawa, uh, I mean, Ichikawa was absolutely hilarious. He uh, he tried like an STF maneuver, and uh, but Choi Hong Man's just too long, too too tall to properly get. Like he would go for the legs and he couldn't reach the head. He'd go for the head, couldn't reach the legs. Uh, but not there wasn't much else to it. It was still funny uh, to an extent. Uh, I think job done at least in that. Uh, and then the the show just takes off from there. We had a special singles match that went, uh, that was KZ against Shun Skywalker. Uh, these two absolutely tore it up. Skywalker and KZ were on point with, with their moves back and forth. Great timing on reversals and their sequences, especially from KZ. Story I took was KZ had a simple answer for all of Skywalker's high-flying moves uh, with, with hard European uppercuts. They were quite impressive. Uh, KZ put him away with the Praying Mantis Bomb, and, uh, there was a really cool spot where, uh, Skywalker would remain zillions by kicking out of, uh, KZ time, which is, um, the frog splash that followed a superplex. That was a really cool, cool moment. Uh, my only complaint is the match was too short at 1237. I wanted more. Uh, so maybe in a future title, sh- title, title match. Speaking of title matches, we had the Open the Triangle Gate Championship match. This is their trios one. Uh, this is uh, the champions uh, Yoshida, Kanda, and Sakamoto versus uh, the Strong Machine Boys. Um, play on the old, the original uh, Super Strong Machine from New Japan. 
back in the day. A really fun, chaotic, entertaining trios match. Strong Machine books strong uh, to this point. Uh, they're undefeated. They win the titles. It makes sense. Their manager issues an open challenge after the match that they have beaten everybody. So it all makes sense there. We get the Open the Brave Gate Championship match. So this is their mid card. You get uh, the champion Susumu Yokosuka. Yokotska. There we go. Yokotska. Defeats Flamita in 13 minutes. This was ungodly good. Uh, the story here goes back to 2014, and be it in singles, Bravegate title matches, or even tag, Flamita beats Susumu. Uh, the other story is just days before the show, Flamita injured his right leg in a match. Uh, so whether that was kayfabe or not, uh, they were putting it off as he's injured. So Flamita tries high-flying uh, adrenaline early, but Susumu just picks apart the leg constantly, avoiding the comebacks. The, uh, the match teased the comeback until Flamita would finally hit one, and the crowd just comes alive. Lots of speed, and Flamita just heavily favoring the leg, but managing, managing a crazy fun match based on this, this, uh, this injury. Susumu avoids a top 450 by moving his legs out of the way, so Flamita came off uh, aiming for his legs. So he just hits the mat. It was a, it was a swing and a miss moment. Susumu hits the uh, plant jack cutter. Then is Yokutska Yokutska cutter to win the match. Uh, and this is where the this is where the show just goes off the chain with just four and a half star matches and up. We had the twenty and twentieth anniversary celebration series prelim, uh, premium match, where it was kind of the burying of hatchets kind of moment here. So you had Ultimo Dragon stepping foot in a Dragon Gate ring for the first time ever. And it was very emotional. He was teaming up with Masato Yoshino, uh, the former champ before Pac, uh, Dragon Kid, uh, so two former Dragon students, versus Masaki Mochizuki, Shuji Kondo, who had, who had a lot of beef with Dragon Gate, and Takio Sugiwara of Zero One. So they're all coming back. Uh, there was a nice little Akira Tozawa and Shingo tribute video of thanking Dragon Gate. No Shima, though, so you know there's still a lot of bad blood there. Uh, so the whole match was a tribute to Dragon Gate, uh, celebrating the veterans of Dragon Gate and Ultimo Dragon. Of course, Shima was totally cut out of all of that because of the stink. Uh, they even heavily built up to Ultimo Dragon doing his a lot of his signature moves, including the Asahi Moonsault, uh, but it was stopped by um, uh, Takuya Sugiwara, who got just a ton of heat, and the crowd just hated it. Uh, Yoshino and Dragon Kid were god-tier in this match, all to build up anything Ultimate Dragon would do. So, Dragon still looks like Dragon, but he doesn't move like Dragon. You know, he's 53 years old at this point. Uh, Yoshino does the Mystico Plant... And Ultima Dragon does the uh, Masi Strong Cradle win uh, to win the match. Uh, Yoshino cuts a post-match promo asking Dragon to return to Dragon Gate again. And then Yoshino uh, Mochizuki, who was just crying on commentary in, in literal tears uh, before the match started. He gets in the ring. Uh, uh, what do I have written here? Kage... Yeah, Kagetora also gets in the ring. They're all on their knees, and they refuse to leave the ring until Dragon says yes. 
And he ends up saying yes. So that's a... You could see fans... Just everyone's just so happy to see Ultimo Dragon uh, burying the hatchet with Dragon Gate. And then we have my match of the night. Uh, Open the Twin Gate Triple Threat Championship Match Elimination. Uh, Yamato and Kai versus Naruki Doi, Kaito Ishida versus Eita and Big R Shimizu. So, Tribe Vanguard... um, Red and uh, whatever the other team is. Uh, match was off the chain. Possibly the best tag match I've seen all this year. The first fall didn't happen until 20 minutes into the match, and it was simply just nonstop. Uh, Ishida ate the ate the first pin, and for a lot of the first 20 minutes was Tribe of Maximum. Jesus Christ, that was the other team. It was just Tribe Vanguard Maximum getting Red out of their way, so continuing their tag match from the King of Gate Finals. Well, Red gets the best of them both as Shimizu hits his uh, shot put choke slam for the first fall, and then Ata, who just went full dick heel mode in this match, uh, he was definitely the most charismatic. Hits the gimmicked uh, ECW style chair shot through Yamato's head on the top turnbuckle. Hits the rolling Hurricane Rana driver for the pin. I just can't do this match justice. It is a Dragon Gate-style match, so just a ton of moves are constantly happening. The match goes 29 minutes, 9 seconds. Uh, you you will be thoroughly entertained. It's it's uh, Dragon Gate at its best, tag team wrestling uh, at its best. And yes, it's a triple threat tag match, and all three guys do start in the ring, and they're in the ring the whole time. There you go. Last but not least, open the Dreamgate Championship match. Pac versus Ben K. Pac being the 200-plus day champion. Uh, un- unbeaten in 20 months, uh, so much like Michael Finn. And then Ben K coming hot off his King of Gate uh, tournament win and getting kicked out of red. So he's he's out for blood. The, uh, the, the title of Ace of Dragon Gate's on the line here, and the title, of course. From the start during the National Anthem, Pac teases jumping Ben K, uh, so it gives a, gives, it's the little things that matter situation. Uh, ben K tries to get a head start in the match, but as soon as he leaves the ring, the boys of Red jump him. Some beatdowns, and then Pac does an apron, shooting Star Press to the floor on Ben, on ben K with a bunch of chairs on him. Just crazy. Uh, very entertainment type working this match was. The beatdown continues for about six minutes as Pac stalks Ben K doing top rope front drop kicks. So this reminded me a lot of that, uh, how he went about doing the Cara Noir match. So it was almost like he was training for this one in particular. Uh, ben K gets his comeback by doing crazy through the middle rope spear, uh, Big E style WWE as Pac was on the apron. Just a psychotic looking spot, it looked crazy. Uh, another Ben K comeback goes outside and uh, gets he ends up getting spinebustered by Sakamoto of Red. Uh, Pac totally doesn't get caught on a Phoenix Splash the outside. So exactly again, like Car Noir, uh, instead of a moonsault, he does a Phoenix Splash here. Uh, hits the floor pretty hard. Uh, there's an inside. Uh, he goes inside, he hits a mid-rope uh, Phoenix Splash. Um, like, knees go right into Ben K. And Ben K sells it just amazingly well on that moment. Probably got the air knocked out of him legit. Uh, 
Ben K comes uh, comes back again, suplexing the shit out of Pac a bunch of times. Some full Nelson moves. Very cool stuff. Uh, hits the 20 minute mark and goes into just a standoff. You know, New Japan style, where they're just punching each other back and forth with stiff forearms situation. Crowd gums, just, they're just way into this at this point. So am I. From here, it's a big spot move trade-off, where they're just trying to hit the big signature moves. Uh, back broad, a back body drop, uh, pack right on the ref, uh, ends up happening. And of course, pack the Bostard calls all of Red into the ring. Uh, it's it's very like uh, Benny Hill comedy where they all just they all he's in the corner and they all hit him, uh, running running running, and during this Shun Skywalker is trying desperately to get the ref back up. As uh and then Ben K, what ends up happening is he's surviving the red on- onslaught. He takes out all of of uh of red, while Shun is tr- because he's getting the ref up quicker. They're worried that. You know they might get caught. So uh, what ends up happening now is after the fight, after uh, after the uh, the factions been fought off, and now the odds are back even. Uh, ben K ends up spearing the shit out of Pac like three times. He hits two gut wrench power bombs to win. Twenty six minutes thirty three seconds. Just an awesome bout. Um, because Pac is has been built as this just legit contender. And uh, fighting champion kind of situation. He takes it everywhere with him. It gave the match so much credit. And, it, and gives Ben K's victory that much more meaning. It's uh, It was very incredible to watch. I was enthralled the whole time. We have our new champion. Uh, what's very important for Ben K going forward. Is his, his next defense in two. Have to also be very convincingly good matches. Uh... Now, where that leads Pac is, does he need to now disappear for a little while? And I think he does. I think he needs to disappear from Dragon Gate for a good couple months, at the minimum. Maybe show up at All Out, and uh, I'm not saying cost Hangman Page the title, but beat him down afterwards, saying, you know, you showed up, my job was to take you out. So that that could be uh, the good in-between section here. That does it for Dragon Gate. What a what a fucking show! I um I thoroughly enjoyed it. It's my favorite pay per view of the year. Uh, it just flew by, and I believe it was a five hour show too. So that just says a lot. Whew! All right. Trying to go through these pretty quick too. Kind of exhausting. <coughs> oh, so tell me what you think about the podcast and all of this wrestling I'm covering. At BowlingJD, Redleaf Retrocast. Use the hashtag. I'll see everything. Mm. Alright, next drop. What am I on? Ah, New Japan. God, there's a lot to talk about there. Not worried at all. So elevated. So sad Osprey can't use that song anymore. Very sad. New Japan G1 nights 5 through 10. Uh, I'm going to try to go through this really quick. I'm sure uh, you all are keeping up with the G1, but in case you aren't, just going to read my notes verbatim to go through this as quick as possible. 
where all of this is leading, you don't know. Maybe you know what? At the end of ten, at the end of night ten, when I get there, I'll just roll up my uh, where I think the G one's going from here. Uh, so, G one climax twenty nineteen block A night five. Kenta defeats Lance Archer in eleven fifty eight. Uh, too much focus on Archer gaming offense, personally, uh, but damn, is he over. And the fire he has been exuding is continuing with the crowd firmly behind him. Kenta is still clearly seen as an outsider, unfortunately. I thought the match was okay. Uh, Evil defeats Sonata in the Battle of LIJ. Both guys showing fire from the get-go, and questions of their loyalty to LIJ were showing. I quite liked this dynamic. Great example of two longtime tag partners just knowing each other too well. Evil even got Sonata in the Paradise Lock, quite like that. Love the exchange and reversals of each other's signature moves all throughout it until the Sonata STO. I thought that was a nice touch. Kinda shocked Evil won this match, to be fair. Uh, and both guys fist bumped afterwards as a show of respect, so they're not going anywhere. Uh, so Sonata sitting at two points at this point. Match went 18-11, a little long. Uh, I just don't know what the deal is, why Sonata is losing like this, and that will be a, uh, well, it will be a theme going forward. We have Okada defeats Bad Luck Fale with Chase Owens and Giotto, uh ringside in 10 minutes. Yep, your typical annual encounter of Fale and Okada. Okada gets the cheeky roll-up to win. Not their best match together. Uh, Hiroshi Tanahashi defeats Zack Sabre Jr., moving uh, Tanahashi getting his first his first win, and Sabre staying at zero. 13 minutes, 56 seconds. Their third match this year and sixth ever had a different feel, with Zack and Tana both going in winless. Uh, Tana is visibly slower and joins Zack in playing the ground technical game mostly, which flowed well. I really enjoyed it. Uh, Zack rightfully concentrated on Tana's surgically repaired arm, quote-unquote, he caused. Uh, but Tana had an answer for basically everything because he's Tanahashi and very smooth and uh, one of the best ever. Tana ends up cheekily cheekily rolling up Zack, just like Zack's previous two opponents, and now ZSJ has fully slipped into a childlike state of madness. Uh, I love the moment of Zack's hunchover, uh, dejected uh, persona sitting on the apron. He looks over his shoulder back, at Tana in the ring, Tana gives a nice little smirk on his face and holds three fingers up. Uh, upon seeing this, Zack's face just goes out of control. He attacks the guardrail, flails a lot, then he goes into a fetal-like position. It's it's so good. <laughs> uh, and then we get our main event. Kota Bushi taking on Will Ospreay. Uh, 27 minutes, 16 seconds. These two took selling and their legit injuries to the next level. Kota with the ankle and Will with his uh, broken neck. <laughs> Let's call it what it is. Uh, the match was all about trying to scare the shit out of the viewer. In constant focus of attack on these body parts, all for a tease of a big move that would focus on said part. Uh, there was a constant gasp from the audience, which also kept me glued to the screen and not moving. I was not looking away in this. There were uh, callbacks to their Tokyo Dome match uh, from January, uh, with the most notable being now Osprey is in the trio woe this time. Ibushi slowly hunches down, staring very intently, and crouches into a gorilla-type pose. 
Osprey tries to pull up out of the tree of woe, and Ibushi just throws him back down into it. Got a good reaction from the crowd there. They exchange lots of heavy slaps until Ibushi just starts kicking him in the chest really hard with his good leg. Nice little selling there. As Red Shoe's pulling uh, Kota away, Kota makes sure, as he's getting pulled away, to get a few extra kicks kicks in on Osprey. So excellent work here from both of them, especially Kota Ibushi. Uh, there was a sort of bad... It was a bad fall. Uh, of an Ibushi reversal, and they go in, uh, he reverses the Stormbreaker, and then he does a Vertebreaker, where Osprey really gets planted on his neck, so we thought earlier he wasn't even gonna make this match, now you're, now you're saying fuck his neck. It's, uh, it, it just, that one made me go oof. Uh, but that was the only neck spot in the match, as everything was reversed off a heavy tease. Uh, it gave relief to the audience and myself, uh, added my tension for sure. Uh, six sweet moment uh, was Ibushi going for the middle rope outside uh, outside in German. Osprey lands on his feet. That leads into Ibushi's just shocked look again. I love when these two are doing these things. As Ibushi turns around, Osprey just cracks him with the hidden blade elbow. Uh, hug pins Ibushi, but Ibushi just happens to grab the rope, so I love ring awareness. Uh, Kota Ibushi wins with the Kamigoye. Match of the year candidate, as far as I'm concerned. Good stuff. Uh, night six, Shingo Takage defeats Taichi. Shingo is a work god, getting a uh, getting as good a match out as Taichi as he did. So much kudos there. Jeff Cobb defeats Juice Robinson in thirteen twenty one. Cobb gets a decisive victory by throwing Juice around just everywhere. Much needed, if you ask me. It works into how strong Juice has been booked at the start of the G one so far. Really liked it. Uh, I really enjoyed all the tossing and catching as the two mold very well together. I especially like the spot where Juice goes for a jumping leg lariat and Cobb catches him. He catches his legs, spins Juice around, Juice pulls his knees up, uh, which is a nice touch by him. Cobb delay he does the delay hip pop into a belly to belly. Great. Good stuff here. Toro Yano defeats Jay White. So keeping Jay White at zero points and Yano up to four. Yano steals the brass knucks from Gato and uh, pops White in the nuts to roll him up. Uh, super awesome, strong comedy booking here. Yeah, you don't have to like not uh, Yano, but uh, he serves such an important purpose. And um, him getting shock comedy victories uh, can allow anybody to lose at any given time. It's, it's uh, really... Ingenious booking, if you ask me. Uh, Tetsuya Naito defeats Hiroki Goto in 16 minutes, 1 second. Naito's best match of the tournament so far, so he looks to be warming up. And uh, this proves to be exactly the case. Uh, Workhorse Goto uh, just really slimmed out, was the right guy to bring the best out of Naito in his first real match. But Naito is still pretty broken looking and moving, so uh, not even close to... What this match should have been, unfortunately, is my take. And then you have, in my opinion, the uh, the second best match of the tournament. We'll get to the best one. This is John Moxley versus Tomohiro Ishii. Moxley and Ishii pulls out my uh, third favorite match of the tournament. No, you know what? Second favorite match of the tournament after um, uh, Ibushi. No, no, it is my it it is my third. We'll get we'll get to the the best one. But yeah. Uh, it's ahead of Ishii Cobb behind Ibushi Osprey. 
When Ishii enters the ring, he immediately gets into Mox's face, and they butt heads and shove each other. Uh, this match immediately gets to uh, gets off to a brawling start. They battle outside. Ishii jumps off the top, splashes Mox through a table. More brawling, more tough guy versus versus the axe involved. Mox hits a huge running knee, just emphasized further by his just size advantage over Ishii. It gives you gives you something to look at. Eventually, after such a tough fight, Mox hits the Death Rider for the win. Fucking awesome match. Uh, we even get Ishii jumping off uh, the top rope through a table at one point. I'm like, what? Um, I believe that's a callback to the whole uh, very, very breaky, breaky, bishy, bishy uh, commentary thing. Uh, this was a better version of the Jericho Okada match uh, from Dominion. And I attribute all the difference to Ishii knowing... The brawls, he can do the brawl style much better than Okada because it's his main style. There you go. Uh, night seven, Zack Saber Jr. defeats Bad Luck Fale uh, via countout. Uh, they go to the top of Corican Hall, avoids a Fale tackle into Chase Owens. He applies a triangle choke on Fale at the top, then he rushes down to the ring late in the count, gets one over on Fale. Crazy winless Zack is now so happy. Uh, Tanahashi defeats Lance Archer uh, in 11 minutes, 58 seconds. Archer has been a standout success story of the tournament. Without a doubt, it is undeniable. Crowd firmly behind him despite his heel role here. Uh, Kenta defeats Evil. Hard-hitting. Kenta being a mixed destroyer and heel New Japan type guy. It's it's working to an extent, uh, but not enough if you ask me. I wonder if it's working with the... I wonder personally if it's working with the New Japan crowd, because I'm just not sure what they gauge to Kenta. Uh, he just doesn't seem to be getting much reaction other than the crowd always cheers for his opponents. So I don't know what to make of that, to be honest. Mm. Kota Ibushi defeats Sonata. Uh, this is your definition of a fun athletic display match. Especially like the uh, the further intensity shown here from Ibushi. Don't have much else to say on that one. Goes 19 minutes, so it's went a little long. And then uh, my match of the tournament, a match of the year contender, is uh, Okada defeating Osprey in 21:56. I really thought this could have been the one for Osprey. Uh, if there was any time to put the junior over the heavyweight champion, uh, now would be the time. Especially with uh, given Osprey's push. Uh, lots of grand, great exchanges, including Okada hitting his uh, drop kick, coming uh, out of just crazy sequences. Uh, there were a few tombstone type spots, which got over, got me very excited. My belief was firmly suspended in this match, which is the whole point to wrestling. Uh, Osprey never did manage to hit the Stormbreaker, while instead he took. I think I counted five Rainmakers in total. The last three minutes of this match alone is a match of the year contender. <laughs> uh, Osprey flipping out of a Rainmaker. Uh, Okada avoiding the Stormbreaker into all of his signature moves. Just nonsense spots. Uh, I Again, I would have put Osprey over here over Okada personally. So now that moves Okada to eight points. Osprey 2, uh, with the tiebreaker to Okada in case Okada loses out and Osprey goes forward. So, um, 
And now we're getting kind of... So we have Kenta and Okada both at 8. And a lot of the other other guys just way behind. Uh, night 8. 8, 9, 10 were... Uh, they really calmed down in these last ones. A lot of focus on Naito. Uh, there was a big build to the Kento-Okada clash. But night 8, Juice defeats Liano. Uh, Taichi defeats Goto. Didn't like that much. Moxley defeats Shingo, and I loved this match. It went 14:45, so it kind of hit that 15 sweet spot uh, where you know it's a good worker match. So I'm very surprised there. Shingo Takagi again, work god. That moves Moxley to eight points of all things. So not something I was expecting. Uh, Jay White finally gets a win over Jeff Cobb. Uh, interference, low blows, and the like. Uh, and then Naito defeats Ishii, which I did not agree with. So that moves them both to four points. That match was 1858. Uh, Naito didn't look as good as he did against his Goto match because I guess Goto was just able to work a more Naito style. While Ishii's that brawler guy uh, and working with a Naito who's still kind of warming up, so to speak, uh, it just didn't do much for me. Uh, Night 9, Kodobushi defeats Lance Archer. Uh, Lance Archer just being the story again. He even hits a Kamigoye on Kota Ibushi. Uh, and just looks like it kills him. Ibushi hits one on him, but he doesn't go down to the first one. So that was, that was cool. Osprey defeats Fale, uh, via DQ after all the interference. Uh, not very good. I don't know what that's supposed to do exactly for Osprey. Uh, it even went nine minutes, so it's not like it was a... A short affair to give him, give him, give him some rest. Uh, Evil defeats Zack Saber Jr. So Zack Saber Jr. is right back on the losing track. <laughs> Unfortunately, um, yeah, I mean it wasn't much different than what we saw in their previous encounter. Uh, Hiroshi Tanahashi defeats Sonata, which again I'm very confused about why Sonata keeps losing. That was 18 minutes. And then uh, Okada Kenta. Okada does defeat Kenta in the end in a 26-53. And uh, they definitely teased early that this could go to the time limit with the pace of it, uh, the slow meandering movements, uh, or calculating, I should say. It felt a little meandering. Uh, Kenta very much concentrating on hard kicks and chops and the like. Uh, trying to be Kenta. It's almost like he's trying to get that five-year WWA stank off him still. So it's it's like, even though he's been in the ring and he's had his two injuries, he still has that ring rust, it feels. Uh, and then Okada just hits a single Rainmaker and beats him. Um, you know, maybe my expectations were too high for this match. Uh, but if Kenta was never booked to win, I probably would have had this go to a draw, to be honest, but... Now, Okada moves to 10 points over Kenta's 8 with the tiebreaker at hand uh, in case it goes that way. It's almost like no one's else even is in sneezing distance unless you count Ibushi. Uh, is Okada running the table is now the question. Cause, and and I, I was thinking about this where All Japan just had their champion win the Champions Carnival. So does that mean New Japan kind of wants to do the same thing in the same calendar year? Questions, questions. Night 10. Goto defeats Yano, 142. 
Ishii defeats Juice Robinson, 1754, and this was great. This was, uh, I think, Juice Robinson's best match. Of course it was against Ishii, of all people. So they both moved to six points. Uh, lots of headbutts exchange. A good story of, I want to top you with that same move. Uh, they they seem to always make for good matches if the right guys are placed into that, uh, that dynamic. And uh, Juice really wants to prove himself in this tournament. Ishii's just being who he is. Uh, let's see. Jeff Cobb defeats Taichi, avoids the low blows and interference. Jay White defeats Shingo in 1926, which was my favorite match of this particular night. Uh, the best spot I loved was seeing Takagi's going for his pumping bomber and Jay White collapses in the center of the ring. So you think, oh, he's collapsing due to uh, energy expenditure or something, but camera cuts to a uh, close-up on his face, and he's got this smile like, ah, I just re- reversed your fucking move, dickhead. <laughs> and I do like Jay White going over in this match, moving to four points, tied with Shingo and, and uh, in sneezing distance of a lot of the group. Um, Shingo's just... He, he was able to work the style that benefited White the most, uh... So there you go. Then our main event was Moxley taking on Naito. Uh, the best part of this was definitely the entrance of Naito, where he was trying to be as slow and antagonizing as possible, where he's like doing uh, doing a slow march with straight legs. He's tiptoeing. He goes backwards at one point. Uh, he's twice as slow taking his clothes off right now, and Moxley sold so well how much this is irritating him and how impatient he is. He's saying, oh, for fuck's sake, get in the ring. Even when the match bell finally goes, Naito's just rolling on the outside, fucking with the guy. Moxley just goes right on his back, and he's like, come on, get in the ring, which is something Naito's prone to do. Uh, There was a lot of uh, taunting each other throughout the match. And surprisingly enough, after 1641, Moxley wins. So only him and Okada are undefeated, having 10 points. Uh, Naito did try to kill himself twice, though. He did a Hurricane Rana for Frankensteiner, spikes himself on his head. (laughs) And then when he was taking the Death Rider, he, like, extended his body on purpose so he could plant himself on his head. (laughs) It's very baffling. I love Naito, but goddamn, he's just... He is looking to kill himself in 2019. More than he has in the past. So, is Moxley going to win? I mean, he's going to have to lose to Yano. And... He beat Ishii. He's probably losing to Juice. That will set up the US title rematch. He beat Shingo. Jay White's probably going to beat Moxley, so... There's three. Because I don't see him losing out. That would be nonsense. And Jay White's got to make a move. I guess we'll find out. Uh, I'm still inclined to think it's going to be... Ibushi against Naito. Right now, at this second. Uh, but with the booking of Okada and Moxley, it has me really second-guessing myself. So there you go. Uh, fun, fun, fun. Uh, it's been a fun G1. I quite enjoyed it. Uh, 
yeah, let's um, let's just move right along into WCW Nitro, uh, our final segment. And uh, my God, covering that much G one in twenty one minutes or so. <laughs> All right, WCW. Oh boy, here we go. All right. I threw down the rest of rest the rest the rest of my whiskey boys and girls. It's time to talk about WCW. This is WCW Nitro, July 13th, 1998. Uh, this is the show after Bastard of the Beach 1998. That piece of shit show. The Nitro Girls in Las Vegas, uh, they put on a Las Vegas dance show to start the party. Because remember, Nitro is a big party. Best thing about it, to be honest. New champion Goldberg as Shivani and company recap the awesome from last week's Nitro. Not anything from Bash at the Beach, the pay-per-view that was just last night. Does Goldberg start off the show? He is the new champion. He's coming off a big victory at Bash at the Beach as well. No! It's all of the NWO for Bischoff and Hogan time. Because of course it is. (sighs) Not what I wanted to see to start out Nitro the day after a pay-per-view. Hogan lays down a promo and blames Scott Hall and his loyalty to the black and white for his loss last week. He calls him out and lays down a challenge tonight and has Bischoff as the special referee for the match. Well, Scott Hall in this segment was brilliant. This is how, I mean, the dude had so much charisma, he just had his demons that kept him off TV. It was nonsense. Very disappointing. But anyways... Scott Hall snickers and antagonizes Hogan. Don't sing it, just bring it. Throws toothpicks at both Bischoff and Hogan. Disciple then grabs the mic, interrupts all this, kind of kills the mood. Claims he got 47 stitches to his head after the DDP uh, chair shot from <laughs> from the, the night before. You know, if I had any stitches in my head, I'm not, t- I'm not fighting the next day. Anyways. Stumbles basically over his entire promo to call out DDP for the match. This took forever. It was a 15-minute nonsensical thing. But Scott Hall was the MVP in this one. It was uh, his deal out there that made it work for me, uh, mostly. That Disciple moment was hilariously terrible. It was just, ooh, how could anyone be this bad? (laughs) Uh, First match, Barbarian with Jimmy Hart. Barbarian, who just went to prison, by the way, for like 16 DUIs or something nonsense, uh, comes out to face Mr. Jobber entrance, Horus of the Flock, uh, Lodi sign alert, Flock loves casinos, Oh, because we're in Vegas. This goes for all of four minutes, Horus cracks a stop sign uh, across Barbarian, tries to do it again after a Jimmy Hart distraction which was for Barbarian originally, but Barbarian ends up kicking the sign into his face to win the match. The flock hit the ring and start the mob beatdown. Crowd pops, and then we see Mang returning out of nowhere. He takes out all the flock. Uh, Mang hasn't been seen since February. Bear in mind, this is July 98, by the way. And just as the Barbarian is about to give him a big ol' hug, Mang puts him in the Tongan death grip. So, still sour notes. Uh... Between these two, 
since the last time, since we saw them face each other 1v1. Uh, it was definitely not on a Thunder, it was on a Nitro. Of their kind of breaking up and then disappearing for six months. Uh, mean Gene out, and this was a bit heavy Mean Gene night. Like, holy crap, it was like every segment from this point on. Mean Gene out to interview Hennig with Rick Rude. Brings up and asks why Rude wasn't at the match. Rude says someone canceled his flight and hints at Goldberg doing it. Hennig says he knows Goldberg's weakness now and challenges him again without Rude ringside. They have a little back and forth and it's kind of confirmed. So this whole you can't trust each other and they're kind of looking at each other led to nowhere. Uh... Mean Gene still rampside, and this time it's with J.J. Dillon. So they just go from white one Mean Gene segment to another. They call out the new Cruiserweight champion, Rey Mysterio Jr., to join them since he won the title the night before in his uh, awkward uh, shock appearance. And before anything, anything can get started, Jericho comes out to once again be the master of loopholes, which I love this Jericho. I, I honestly hope he, he brings something like this back. Uh, to AEW. He has now referenced page 257 of the WCW rulebook, and it clearly states that if a suspended wrestler shows and has an impact to the match, the match is null and void. In this case, Dean Malenko. J.J. Dillon reluctantly agrees again and again with Jericho. Jericho celebrates, and then Malenko comes out. And before any trouble gets started, Jericho says, Mysterio Malenko should have a number one contender match tonight. Done deal. So Jericho's got his title back. He's got his opponents, his possible uh, next opponent, uh, fighting each other. Uh, This was a good segment. I like this one. Recap video from mid-June, so a month ago, of the NWO taking out Macho Man in that cage match as uh, he needed... Reconstruction, reconstructive knee surgery. So this is their version of clearing up where Macho Man has been for the last month. I don't know why they had to do this now. Could have been doing this the whole time. Hacksaw Jim Duggan versus Giant Six Foot Six Jobber Rick Fuller. Duggan makes short work of him. Hits a jumping knee drop for the pin. Very odd. Uh, recap of the return from severe neck injury, wheelchair-bound Buff Bagwell. And with that, Mean Gene for the for interview number three. With now Marcus Buff Bagwell to ask where he stands with all this Rick Steiner stuff. And, uh, because he's got something to say. Uh, well, Rick Steiner comes out, and before anything could be said, Hogan and the Disciple come out. And Hogan cuts a very strange promo, almost like it was thought up on the spot. He goes, uh, he's sick of this babyface crap being set out here. Uh, He puts both the guys down uh, off their little pedestal. Uh, Hates these couple of cripples, he says. So instead, Buff Bagwell should be called Cream Puff Bagwell. (laughs) Uh, And then pushes Buff Bagwell over and out of his wheelchair. This does get legit heat from the crowd. They boo quite loudly. Even I felt some actual hate for Hogan for once instead of the usual Hogan-Bischoff promos where I just immediately want to turn off Nitro. Uh, So, super real crowd reaction. Uh, This is the first one all night. Um, 
there was that short mang pop, but this one was way better. Hogan's suck chance just continue through the commercial break. Uh, so Buff Bagwell turning babyface off an injury, wanting to, uh, in, in as it appears, uh, make amends with Rick Steiner, uh, and then Hogan comes out and ruins the party, gets real heat. Uh, did this have to be Hogan of all people? I don't think so. I think you could have put someone else over the NWO getting mad at him. Uh, so that's just my thoughts there. Uh, then they reference Bret Hart's ruthless attack post-match on Booker T from Bass of the Beach. Commentary says Booker's got a torn meniscus and a list of torn ligaments, like every single one of his knee, as Bret Hart comes out to face uh, Finley, whom got no entrance. Pretty decent TV match here, though. Uh, it's Bret Hart, so what would you expect? And Workhorse Finley, so again, what would you expect? Uh, they had a nice uh, back-and-forth. Hart wins via the sharpshooter. So no follow-up from the beating of Booker T uh, from Stevie Ray nor Hart. Okay, it was just a match. I guess I enjoyed the match. But then, well, speaking of, Stevie Ray comes out for a match. And he's holding Booker Booker T's TV title. Wh- what? <laughs> like, we just saw the guy who tore your brother's knee apart. In the segment before, and now you're out holding Booker T's TV title. Uh, there's kind of a reason for it. Uh, I do know what ends up happening, but from what I'm seeing in this nutshell right here, doesn't make much sense. He gets to face the returning Rick Martel, who I'm very happy to see. Uh, I was always a big Rick, Rick Martel fan. As in, when I was a child, I did not like Rick Martel. He was a heel and bad guy, and he was Canadian. Ooh. <laughs> Even though my favorite wrestler ever is Canadian. But this guy's from Montreal. Ooh, that's that's bad. <laughs> uh, but yeah, cool to see Martel, and he mostly controls the match. Uh, he's, as he's, he's the much better wrestler compared to Stevie Ray. He locks in the Quebec Crab, and then... Bret Hart comes out and cracks Martel over the head with a chair. Basically in front of the ref. But somehow, both Stevie Ray and the ref had no idea what had happened. Uh, Slapjack Stevie Ray wins. And then Mean Gene, so number four. We got the me- If you got your Mean Gene counters out, that makes four. Mean Gene asks Stevie Ray, what's up, bro? Stevie Ray says Booker T gave him the power of attorney to defend the TV title. Mean Gene, like the best interview wrestling interviewer that's ever been, calls BS. Uh, Stevie Ray says he will he he's willing to bring the papers next week. Maybe. Kind of. Ah, eh, if I remember. Ah, forget it. Whatever. <laughs> so there you go. So uh at least this particular interview segment kind of gives you an idea of what's happening here. Stevie Ray is so disappointed with his brother not coming after Bret Hart, hood style, right? He's taking possession of his brother's title. He can do better. And Bret Hart has just helped him retain said title, who's a part of the NWO. I think the writing's on the wall. I think it's stupid, but at least there's some moniker of sense to it all. I would have liked to see Bret Hart's match come after this uh, whole whole exchange. I think it was just f- backwards on the card there. Uh, NWO Wolfpack of Sting accompanying Conan versus Jobber entrance Barry Darso. 
Basically another squash quick win. Conan Tequila Sunrise gets the win. I just don't get what the direction and purpose of the NWO Wolfpack is. I don't get it. It's been over a month since the Macho Man got his savage beatdown. And there's been zero direction with the group. They want... they they, they uh, There was a Nitro where they brawled, but then ignored the very next week and for two weeks. So, as far as I can, I can tell, you have all these main eventers, quote-unquote main eventers, of the NWO Wolfpack just in this party group. And they just squash people. I don't... It's not a good way to use your biggest stars in any way. It's... I get it, WCW is a party, these are your party guys, between Nash and Sting and Luger and, and Conan, but fuck, they're not doing anything. Beating, like, beating up Disco Inferno and, and fucking Barry Darsow does nothing. <laughs> mean Gene interview number six. Right? Am I right? Let's see here. Uh, yeah, number six. <laughs> He's in the ring for the first time tonight. And this occasion is for B- DDP, the people's champ, as they say. DDP calls out the disciple, stop crying, come get some. Very short and sweet. Match on right now. Rick Rude comes out to try to screw over DDP. DDP throws disciple into him, rolls him up for the win. Holy shit, the crowd popped hard for this roll-up. Cocky shoulder shake on the outside, spits at Rude, escapes through the crowd. He starts heading towards the stage, crowd ways. But before the crowd can actually stay happy in this moment of of a huge babyface getting one over on a, a shitty wrestler of the NWO who's associated with Hogan, Hogan and Vincent crack him with a chair near the stage from behind. Crowd immediately... Just goes, fuck, we just saw this with Bagwell. They start chanting Goldberg. And, of course, no Goldberg. So this total, this just killed the crowd dead. If, if they were, they were clearly having fun up to this point with the party environment and things happening. You had a good heat segment with Hogan and, and um, uh, Bagwell earlier. And now you get another one with DDP for seemingly no reason since you beat them at the pay-per-view last night. Uh, But yeah, fuck, there's so much Hogan on this show. Alright, triple threat match. WCW commentators call it a triangle match of Saturn, Raven, and Canyon. You know, the match that should have been at the pay-per-view last night at Bash of the Beach. Uh, However, however, positive, this was a fun brawl. Canyon hitting some cool moves like an electric chair and TKO. That was awesome. Do like uh, Canyon's moveset is just uh, basic wrestling leading to his cool quote unquote innovative moves, right? Uh, Saturn leaps on this guy in and out of the ring. Uh, that was a wild maneuver. Uh, the whole crossbody over the top rope deal. Uh, then puts up a table, splashes. Uh, through Canyon on the outside, Raven smiles on the inside. He beckons Lodi to throw one of them in the ring. Saturn ca- counters. Canyon misses his splash. Saturn hits his own on Raven. Triple back suplex. Crowd just... This is where they woke up. So, after the Hogan segment with DDP totally killed their killed their spirits, this match woke them up. It did their job. Right? Then they beat each other up for some 
fucking asinine reason the ref counts them out for 10 and Raven wins. What the fuck? Why? What? A count out in a triple threat match? And with the ref counting 10, you just heard the crowd going from like waking up to it's like someone hit the snooze button. They just fall asleep again. It was so crushing to the show. Uh, the third time now the fireworks have exploded in the re- arena, so I guess it's to wake everyone up. They're like, shit, we put everyone to sleep again with our shitty booking. Cue the fireworks! <laughs> uh, Mysterio versus Malenko, uh, number one contender match for the Cruiserweight title. These two mold so well together. Lots of counters, reversals, mixture of technical work with the high-flying lucha. Uh, crowd comes unglued again, so they keep trying to wake this crowd up, right? Uh, there's a top rope Hurricane Rana uh, spot where Malenko holds up and Mysterious just flies off him. There's a deadlift to uh, deadlift uh, uh, suplex as Malenko's on top and it goes into his big gut buster. Uh, then, because this is WCW and you can't just have a good match or whatever, Jericho comes out and hits Malenko in the back with a belt. And Mysterio just simply pins him. So, WCW just can't help themselves. Uh, How many times tonight must anything good happening with Nitro be immediately crushed with something to get heat? It is a theme of the show, and it's hard to watch. Anytime you get excited, you're just immediately like, ugh. think I can think of another show that does something very similar mm, today. Impact definitely did a lot in the mid 2010s and or the late to the you know 2008 to 2011. That was like their prime directive was doing that shit. Anyways, we get another copy paste German English promo of Wright and Disco Inferno. Bad Nash Lu- bad Nash Luger for cheating. Come out here. Uh, uh, Disco of course throws in some terrible lingo on top of that. Uh, with the way he does. Wolfpack comes out. It's the same squash match from Bash at the Beach, but this time they didn't bother even distracting the ref. It's just allowed. So now we have just loose rules. Uh, at the very least, a crowd pop for this, again, but again, no direction or purpose. A long recap of Thunder where Michael, uh, where um, Mondo McMichael is trying to convince Arn Anderson to reform the Horsemen, so that's still ongoing. Eddie Guerrero versus Mondo McMichael, and this was awful. Mongo sucks ass in the ring. I hate watching him. Uh, and before anything even gets started for me to really hate the match, Chavo comes down with uh, his uh, wooden horse Pepe, just awkwardly gets in the ring, and the ref just calls a DQ even though nothing happens. So he just gets in the ring, and the ref goes, uh, you can't do that, this match is over. Eddie Guerrero dropkicks Chavo into McMichael. Mongo hits a tombstone and leaves. The fuck was the point of this? I, like, everyone knows Chavo's crazy. And I, I I don't know what anyone got out of this. It was just a waste of time. Alright, Hogan versus Hall with special ref Eric Bischoff. Here we go. Whew. Luckily I have some water so I can calm down. Blood pressure's rising. 
Okay. So this is a Hogan match in 1998. A lot of just punching and boots meandering around the ring, and this was meandering. This was surely meandering. Basically, Hogan starts cheating, and anything Hall does becomes a problem. There's a low blow by Hogan. DDP rushes down, Diamond Cutters Bischoff, and then gets jumped by the rest. Nash rushes down, and for some reason Nash does the two sweet to Hall, even though at uh, Spring Stampede, fucking Hall turned heel and joined, like, stuck with the black and white. So, what? And Nash turns his back, and Hall quickly stays on Hogan's side, and there's an NWO beatdown on DDP and Nash. The fuck? Fans chant Goldberg, and no Goldberg again, for the upteenth time tonight. Like, more heat. And this was a waste of time. They got you hinting at a Hogan-Hall split. Uh, did you need Nash in this? Like, DDP coming down made total sense, because he got the shit kicked out of him, right? Uh, going for Bischoff kind of got a good pop, but you know you can't can't do it to Gold can't do it to Hogan. Urgh. Anyways, Hennig Goldberg title match finally, so a repeat of Bash of the Beach. Uh, Hennig slaps Goldberg, spear jackhammer pinned by Goldberg. That's it. Forty five seconds to beat Hennig. At the very least, the crowd went home happy after this shit show. A Bad Nitro. Every segment seemed to have heat, just about. Uh, there were some segments that had no purpose. We don't know what's going on with NWO Wolfpack. The Four Horsemen are still in purgatory, whether they're coming back. Mean Gene was on fire with six segments tonight. <laughs> uh, yeah, I, 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 this was a, a bizarre... After party of Bash at the Beach, 98. So. Oh, let's see. What were the finishes here? I, I gotta go over this. This was, this was uh, let's see. Um, Barbarian wins clean after interference. Uh, Hogan wins clean. Or, Duggan, Duggan wins clean. Um, uh, submission victory, uh... Let's see. Uh, pin after interference with a chair. Squash match. Uh, triple threat ends in a countout. <laughs> um, pin via belt shot interference. After belt shot interference. Another squash match. Uh... Man comes in the ring with a wooden horse, simply thrown out. Uh, and then another match, simply just thrown out due to interference. And then 45-second squash of a major 90 star. There you go. WCW, baby. What <laughs> a bad show. Hated it. How far am I in? Whoa, we're over three hours. Okay, let me get to my... Wrestler rankings, here we go. I'll just go through them right fast. Rapid fire, here we go. Women, 10, Takiya Saya, 9, Momo Watanabe, 8, Maya Yukihi, 7, Hanakamura, 6, Kimberly, 5, Solo Darling, 4, Rina Yamashita, I think her first time joining the list, 3, Chris Stotlander, 2, Sakushi, 
I'm sure you guys are surprised about that. And one Jungle Kiona. Maybe not too surprised about that. Men, 15 Kenta. 14 Susumu. 13 Chris Dickinson. 12 Shingo. 11 Jordan Devlin. 10 Volter. 9 Ben K. 8 Kento Miyahara. 7 Osprey. 6 Moxley. 5 Ishii. 4 Pac. 3 Dragonoff. 2 Kotobushi. And 1 Mr. Kazuchika Okada. And there you go. That was episode 36 of the Redleaf WrestleCast, Kobe Pro American Rana on the Tyne. And I hope you enjoyed it, and I'll see you next time. Whew. My God. (laughs) 